call is now being recorded. Yo. Yo. Episode three in the building. Yeah, man, can't believe we put this we're this uh, consistent right now. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get uh episode two up and everything, but um yeah, we rolling with the content. Yeah, I guess, man. Um, I guess in the future, normally right here, this is where our Bevel sponsorship will be. Um, <laughs> I actually have been uh, off my Bevel game, so my uh, I'm feeling kind of crazy right now. I really need to shave my head. Hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, go to Bevel.com and use promo code. We don't have one yet, but... Um, <laughs> When we do use that, and you'll get twenty percent off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, let's see, well, right now, I guess we're it's past Easter, but uh, did you do anything for this Easter? Um, not particularly. I um, I got my mother some Easter stuff. Um, some Easter eggs. Some marshmallow Easter eggs and Barnes and Noble gift card, and um, I got my girlfriend some flowers and a Bath and Body Works gift card. I've never done Easter before like this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. It's just yeah, man. But see, the reason why um, I had to get my mother something was because my girl made my mother an Easter basket with, like, all this candy and stuff in it. Hmm. So, and I was like, man, I got to get my mother something, too. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went and got my mother a Barnes Noble gift card. So my, my mother was just like, why? No, she was like, um, is that Barnes Noble gift card on, on the table yours? And I was like, no, it's yours. I got it for you. And she was like, Why? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, for Easter. And it was like a long pause. And she was like, okay, thank you. Oh, well. But, um, yeah, never again. <laughs> Did you do anything? Um, uh, no, I was, uh, supposed to, um, to go to, uh, an Easter dinner, but I didn't for, um, various reasons. The main one being, um, that I pretty I was told I was divided and I was told at the same time that there wouldn't be any type of you know vegan or vegetarian options for me to uh, choose from. So I figured that it wouldn't be a good look if I went, and so I uh, I talked I spoke with someone who went there today, and they he told me that the only thing they would they had that I could consume was wine, liquor, coffee, and salad. So. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't have been a good idea because I probably just would have stumbled. Over. <laughs> oh man, that's always uh, that's always a difficult thing. Like whenever you go, I hate when you go somewhere and the uh, only thing to eat is a salad, and it's not even like like a man salad. It's just like some of that. Just generic lettuce with some onions in it, and like one or two uh, of those great potatoes. 
Like, yeah. That really um, will just set you off your game, like, especially if you're at, like, a restaurant. Like, if you go to, like, um, I don't know if you've been to an IHOP <laughs> in the past couple of years. Or, like, an Applebee's, but it's, like, the only thing you can get is, like, a house salad. And people start asking you, like, these weird questions and looking at you like you're crazy. And I'm just like, please leave me alone. I just want my salad and my water. <laughs> like, it's yeah. already bad enough. Yeah, man. Like, uh, you know, I think, I mean, thinking about it now, because, um, you know, since I've been here, when I'm, when I, when I have been invited to someone else's house for whatever function it was, um, you know, they always say, oh, we'll have salad for you, though. And and just thinking about, you know, like the conversation I had with the person who invited me to the Easter dinner because, you know, her, her parents were coming over and stuff like that, visiting from, uh, I think, Minnesota, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty strong. But anyway, um, it, it got me thinking that maybe a lot, like one of the main reasons why a lot of people who turn vegetarian or vegan, one of the main reasons why they possibly turn back to eating meat is because they probably only think that they can only eat salad and shit. <laughs> and yeah. I can't, I can't blame them. I mean, that's very boring. Yeah, it is pretty boring. Um, I don't know, like. Since I've become vegan, I've uh, I used to oh I used to hate salads. I used to just really detest them. But um, I've stepped my salad making game up, and you know I I, I feel like I make what I like to call man salads. Mm. So like you know my salads are very hearty. Like they have a lot of beans, and um, I might chop up some some uh, some baked potatoes and put them in there. Um, you know, I usually put like broccoli, it'll be a combination of lettuce and spinach and kale, like, you know, I think, I think the definition of a salad has been watered down by, um, you know, people in general, I guess people in the mainstream non-vegan vegetarian world, you know? Right. But, um. Hmm. I think that's one thing to make it, you know, less boring. Another thing too is, you know, like you were saying, like there's a there's a lot more options than just <laughs> eating salad. I don't think you'll get all your nutrient content that way anyway. So Yes, that's very true. Like um like, you know, lately I I've been trying to find different, you know, different um things to try to cook and, you know, different recipes or whatever. And um, today I tried, I played with, like, trying to uh, make spinach fritters, mm. not exactly in the, the Indian cuisine style. Um, but I tried, I guess I made them the American way because I got, this, I think it's some type of recipe that uh, Rachel Ray has or, or some type of shit. And um, it involves eggs, but unfortunately, the I, don't, I guess I did something wrong. Maybe they weren't chopped the way that the spinach wasn't chopped the way it was supposed to be. And they didn't really come out the way I, I, I intended them to come out, but um, they're actually really good. So um, I'm trying to find different egg replacements for, you know, whether it comes to, like, you know, an egg, an egg replacement to, like, baking, one to frying, and stuff like that. So I'm still trying to um, play around with that. But uh, I still make my, my vegan ziti, and that's okay. I think it's coming out better as I go along. 
Yeah, that's a fucking job, though, man. You just gotta. That's only thing, man. Like you, know, I, I, like I swear, like a lot of my time really goes to like chopping vegetables. <laughs> and so it's like being in, like graduate school, or whatever. You know, a lot of people they kind of like you know they they shy away from actually cooking because they, they don't want to you know invest the time in into cooking and doing whatever else they got to do because you know they got to read and write and shit. And so I realized that you know sometimes you know like a lot of us students will. We'll, like, you know, we'll wake up just thinking about some shit we got to do so we to start reading or writing real quick or whatever like that at six, at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. And so what I usually do is that if I, like, pop up at night now, instead of doing some shit like that or doing whatever else I may do, I'll just, I'll just start chopping vegetables <laughs> to, try to, <laughs> try to kill, try to kill some more time. And it actually works. That's what's, uh, I guess it's kind of relaxing, too, and kind of takes your mind off of things. Um, yeah, I mean, that's to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, also, it's like the, um, I guess something about, like, the sound, like, you know, that, that the, uh, the knife makes when it hits, like, the, uh, the, um, the cutting board, too. Um, like, the sound, like, that sound and, like, the sound when, like, a chalk, like, a piece of chalk hits, um, a blackboard or something about it that's, it kind of relaxes me for some reason. I feel you on the, on the, on the blade hitting the cutting board, but the chalk... On a blackboard, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, something about that I can't get with. <laughs> mm. But, um, yeah, rec- I guess recently, I don't know, I've been, um, I've been dealing mostly with frozen vegetables. And so what I'll do is, um, I guess, you know, to, to, to get ready for my week, um, I'll, I'll get like a bunch of different varieties of vegetable mixes and just throw them in a pot. And um, I recently I've been getting different seasonings, um, various like uh, seasonings from like the international section of the market, usually like the Latino part. So I mm-hmm. get like different seasonings, and um, I'll either boil them, I'll boil the vegetables, um, or I'll just kind of like defrost them, like run some hot water over them and defrost them, so it's kind of raw. Um, but recently I've been boiling them just to get like a difference of, um, number one, taste, and two, um, how my body is, um, I guess digesting them and getting the the, uh, nutrients out of them. So I'll get like a big pot of vegetables and I'll throw some beans in there, um, you know, for the fiber and all of that. And so that's kind of like my, and then what I'll do is I'll get some vegetarian, um, uh, pasta, the, the barella kind, and, um... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I'll, like, put the vegetables over top of that, and that'll be, and the beans over top of that, and that'll, like, be my pot of food for the week. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I get the seasonings in it, you know, it makes it taste good. I guess it doesn't really look too appealing a lot of times, but... It gets the job done, and it helps me save money and keeps me full, so. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I know, you know, personally, a lot of people, they always look at me because I tend to eat, you know, although I'm trying to bridge out of it, I tend to eat, like, the same shit over and over again. Mm. And I think it just goes into that, you know, the, um, I guess, you know, the saying that, you know, you eat to live and not live to eat. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, 
but uh, I think you know the previous episode we um, I mentioned something about liquid aminos. Mm-hmm. We had like a small conversation about it, and um, I finally finished my bottle of soy sauce off, and I started using that on some rice I had earlier um, yesterday or whatever. And um, I mean it's cool, but it's just I mean maybe it's maybe it's just me. It just it, it just has a certain richness that is lacking compared to the soy sauce. It's, um, I mean, it is, I guess, it's a little intense, um, if that makes any sense, <laughs> but, hello? Yeah. Yeah, but, um, I don't know, I, I like it, um, it's, uh, I just, like, try not to use too much of it, I guess. But um yeah, actually the other day I made some beans and rice and I put that on there and um it just it just changed the whole nature of of, of the dish. Mm. So um, I guess it's all in in you know how you use it or what you put it on. What you put it on again? Um, brown rice. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I don't. I liked it a lot, or like you know, like um. I'll get like an Asian vegetable mix from the market, um, you know, like the frozen vegetables with the uh with the with the water chestnuts and the um and the pea pods and all of that. And mm-hmm. throw that on like some rice and then put the liquid aminos on there. It makes I mean to me it makes it pop and you know, it tastes like you know, like you're making something straight out of the Chinese food spot. Mm. Well, it's awfully, it's, more, it's way more expensive than, uh, compared to, I guess, like, a regular bottle of soy sauce. I'm assuming that, uh, you get the, uh, what is it, the, the, the Mr. Braggs or Dr. Braggs? Yeah, 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 I got the Dr. Braggs. Yeah, cause, um, I got, uh, I picked up a bottle of their, uh, um, apple cider vinegar too with the mother in it a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty good actually. Yeah, I use I use um I use that a lot. Of course, both my girlfriend and my mother can't stand the smell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I like to um. What I'll do is I'll 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 put some apple cider vinegar, just like a drop in a cup, and then I'll squeeze um some lemon juice in it and fill it up with water, and I just drink that down. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to build myself up to do some shit like that. But um, <laughs> the thing about Oklahoma is though, I mean, the thing about Oklahoma is that there are uh, like the water here can be, and I think you sent me the article before I even got here about like the water system here. Oh yeah. And so I mean, I, I'll cook with the water, but like just like straight drinking it, drinking it, I just can't do yet. Mm. <laughs> Unless I get some, you know, like one of those um. Those Buddha filter um, picture things or whatever like that, which I haven't done yet. Yeah. Shoot, I, I, I was just thinking, I still have the extra one in the basement I meant to give you. But, um, but yeah, I think that's definitely a necessity. <laughs> you got to get that. So, so you, um, so what do you do, like, water-wise? Like, do you just buy, um, buy filtered water or... Well, um, well, when uh, that's the thing, like, because when, when I moved into my place, like, the, I mean, the the previous tenant left like a lot of shit here, so um, 
I came in here and I inherited like you know inherited about six seven you know water spring water bottles, mm-hmm. and um, I'm assuming because I guess you know the way Oklahoma's water system is here, how it can be kind of weird during certain seasons. Um, they're like they have like these special um water filter tasks or whatever all throughout campus, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like a mixture of a water fountain and then it, ha- it has like another little sticky thing where you can get like like fresh. Um, filter water for your water bottle. Um, so, um, I use, so, so what I usually do is I get like, I have like two water bottles, so I drink them down, and then whenever I go out, I'll refill them up on campus if I'm, if I go there. That's dope. How big are the water bottles? Uh, one is about, uh, let's see. One is like 20, like 20 ounces, the other is like 16. How much um how much water do you drink like like during an average day? That's the thing; it varies. Um, I mean, I, I may just drink like one of those down all the way on um you know on a certain day, but when I have class, um, I drink way more water because um <laughs> because I drink I drink it during class and it gives me something to do, so I don't bore up my fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> so. So that's, I think class is a good thing for me health wise probably, but um because usually, you know, when I wake up, I either have cranberry juice or um or ginger tea with honey. Mm-hmm. Um and then throughout the day I just have like some water and then when it gets to a certain time of the day I, I switch to whiskey. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I um I drink about I, I I try to drink two or three liters of water a day, mm-hmm. um, and throughout the day I also have like various tea and coffee and um, things of that nature. And then I guess um, recently I've been I've been on my wine game, even though I did have some um, some Jack Daniels uh, shorties the other day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I recently was listening to this podcast called The Podcast, and um, they were dispelling various fitness rumors, and um, one thing they were saying is that, you know, it's a myth that you really need to drink that much water, and um, basically your body adapts, and, you know, when you think about people who live, uh, live in climates where there um, isn't a lot of water, and I guess, you know, like in desert-type areas and stuff like that, these people didn't really drink that much water, and they were pretty healthy. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So, mm-hmm. And then I saw something else about, because um, I was researching, you know, how much water should you drink per day, and um, your kidneys can filter about a liter of water per hour. So then I came to the conclusion, well, you probably shouldn't drink more than a liter of water in an hour. Because if you drink too much, um, you can kind of like, I guess, uh, flood your, um, or like wash out your electrolytes out of your system. And then um, eventually it can like cause like brain swelling and stuff like that. So, I don't know, now I've been more more careful about my water intake. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine, I mean... Um... Well, I think another thing too about like the people um, who are in like, certain climates where they just can't 
they just can't, they don't have like a lot of access to water. I'm also assuming that they don't really have um, a lot of uh, access to like processed foods like we do. Yeah. Also, but um, I know that my mother, she always, she always like harkens back to like this article that she read years ago in the newspaper or uh, some shit. She, it's either she she saw it on TV or, or read it read it in the newspaper, and it's about um about some doctor and he's talking about like the water intake and how the doctor pretty much says that you know if you drink any if, if you drink anything whether it be like I guess like a soda or um some type of like I guess lemonade or whatever um it kind of counts you know towards you know like, I guess your your water count as long as it doesn't as, as it doesn't have any uh, some type of caffeine or or something that will dehydrate you to a certain extent. And so that's something that she always lived by, which is, which I guess this is why she doesn't really, it, it, gave, it gave her an excuse to not drink um, a lot of water, pretty much. Which I still think she should probably do, but she doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, that makes sense. You know, and a lot of things can add to your water intake, but what else are you getting with that? Like, you're getting you know, high fructose corn syrup and all kind of food coloring and chemicals too, so I yeah. guess, you know, what are you hydrating yourself with? Um, another thing that's interesting is, um, have you been paying attention to the situation in California? I mean, I know whenever I turn on NPR, they have some type of special on it, all things considered, but I haven't listened to it in a while. Oh yeah, man. Like um, I think the most re- well, like one they 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 recently come to the conclusion that uh, the whole state of California basically has a year of water left, and mm-hmm. the uh, governor just um, made like he's uh, having these mandatory water restrictions, which is like the first time that they're doing that um, mandatory water rationing. And it's basically to to get the water usage down twenty five percent statewide. Um, I forget the time frame, but I guess in a year or so. And so different parts of California are going to have to, um, you know, like depending on the population and the water and the current water usage, they have to get their water usage down um, in different parts, like um, um, by different percentages. And so, um, um, I was listening to NPR and they were talking about how, like, they're probably going to have to re-landscape and re-engineer California to be more like a Mediterranean type of place, um, where they don't get a lot of rain. So, you know, no more lawns, no more sprinklers and that type of deal. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, um, it's, you know, I look at that as a predictor of what can happen, you know, nationwide. <laughs> and because of that, I'm like, all right, well, I guess I won't ever move to Cali because they're about to not have water. But, you know, what if huge drought hits the East Coast or hits nationwide? It's like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, I was, um, well, I went to a party, um, was Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. and um, I had to talk with someone about um, 
I think about sprinkle this year or whatever like that. Um, but anyway, so like the other day, um, I was um, on my way to the market. And, you know, it's springtime here now. So, you know, you see flowers popping up and shit like that. And um, there are like certain people around my neighborhood who um, they like, I guess they, 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 they're a part of these, these weird uh, like lawn contests to see who has like the best grass or the best garden. And, you know, sometimes they'll have like the sprinklers on. But the sprinklers are barely hitting the grass and it's just hitting the concrete and then you gotta walk past it and you're gonna get get sprayed with a bunch of water and shit. And it just kinda kills me whenever I see it because I, I can, I, I mean, I can, I can only imagine like how much water is being wasted, I guess, for the hour or in some change that the sprinkler, um, the sprinkler is on for, um. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And it's like, um, first off, that, I didn't know stuff like that existed. I thought that it was just on TV. Um, the lawn contest. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, yeah, there's some people here, they have, like, you know, um, something like, you know, a little stick or whatever like that in their grass or whatever, saying, you know, voted number, like, number two best lawn in the, in the city or something like that. Wow. Only in America. <laughs> Just, just grass, like no vegetables, no nothing you can eat from. Just grass. I mean, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. With the one that I've seen, it was only grass. Uh, I'm sure they had some some weird gardens around here too that I've, that I've never seen before. Um, but um, yeah, it's kind of it's pretty sickening to me. And then I got to walk past it and get wet and shit, which is cool. Um, but then also, from what I'm understanding, is that um, Oklahoma doesn't have, like, the best um, water system either. You know, like, we need water, too. Oh, man. Yeah, so. I mean, like, a lot of these places, um, I don't, like, I think I was in NPR about, um, like, I, I think it was Nevada, like, like is it Las Vegas or Los Angeles or something like that? about how they got the water there and how they basically, like, stole the water from this other place. And they set up this whole system so that an area that was pretty much uninhabitable could now be habitable. And so it's like, you know, I guess re-engineering nature to be able to live somewhere, you know, it's going to catch up with you eventually, especially, you know, living so wastefully when it comes to vital resources like water and um it's um i don't know it's just like things are definitely going to change um they have to change and you know whenever we get or like whenever people talk about water i always think about that most deaf song new world water (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and that song man it just it just used to creep me out like um here's that one part about uh, I guess they were feeding the uh feeding the oceans and the rivers dead niggers and stuff and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's it just it's just like the karmic uh the karmic energy or um the the karma of the society when it comes to water is going to come back on us. I feel like. So I don't know. Not to be all depressing and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, like, uh, like here, um, 
like you know, I guess like history was, you know, like environmental history has become like this like this, this really big thing right now. Or has been for some years and um, you know, a lot of um like the a lot of like the works that that are coming out of like this this field of history, um a lot of it has to do with like these built these built um environments, you know, and how they were made and the effects that they do have on the environment. So um I know I I had to read um this book called like The Making of Rocky Rocky Mountain National Park and um, you know, essentially, you know, like pretty much everything that Rocky Mountain is, that shit was all made. And because of that, um, there's like a lot of, um, a lot of, um, um, issues with it when it comes to how it was made. And so like over the years, they've, um, constantly, like, you know, they've had like to, to deal with these weird issues when it comes to like, uh, even sewage, like how they would like sewage out and stuff like that. And they had, they had these crazy ways to get it out. And if I if I recall properly, but no but no one caught me on this, I believe they had to use um like airplanes to get like shit out or whatever like that when people were people were using like, you know, like the the facilities and shit like that. I'm dealing with like with different animals, you know, the animals who were still like, you know, in the area that they created and stuff like that and how they were probably destroying the scenery for um the many tourists that would come to the area or just driving through and shit like that. Very depressing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, it's like, I don't, it's like you try, I don't, it sounds like what they try to do is, is 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 recreate something natural that wasn't there in the first place, so it's not really natural. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think when you have situations like that, it's kind of like a Frankenstein effect, like, because you can't predict how, you know, what you're doing is affecting just the general ecosystem and how you're going to have to, you know, take airplanes to get feces out of the area. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, you know, it. Um, I, I know, like, the author of the book, like, one of the things that he was, like, you know, uh, an idea that he brought forth, which I'm not entirely sure if he kind of took it from anyone else, but um, the idea pretty much... um pretty much like telling uh telling like the like the, the person who comes there like you know what beauty is. So pretty much like selling this form of beauty to like to to like the millions of tourists who come there, you know, every year just, just to see what is what, like the meaning of beauty. And so the guy was pretty much saying like, you know, the making of these like these national parks and these other created environments is is really just if you think about it, just based on what other what what other people think of as you know what is beautiful, and um, to me it harkens back to uh, the uh, the uh, Charles the uh, Charles Bukowski poem. I met a genius, and you know how he's on the train or whatever, and he meets this boy, and everyone's looking out at this, this beautiful scenery, and the boy of all people, he doesn't really see what they what they see in it, and it's all based on perception. Yeah, it's that's very interesting. I I don't know, I, I know when you were um, talking about you know these um the I guess the manufactured beauty and trying to sell that image. It just made me think of um I think that a lot of it has to do with what people envision the Garden of Eden to have been, mm. and so people keep trying to recreate that. 
because um, I guess that's what they think of as, you know, natural beauty. They go back to the Bible and they try to recreate, I guess, that setting. And, you know, I don't know. I've had a lot of a lot of uh, interesting Bible conversations um, <laughs> today, you know, being Easter and all that. <laughs> yeah, so, I can imagine. Yeah, so um, that's been, you know, kind of like in the forefront of my mind. Um, so I don't know. that. Like, that's just something that just popped into my head um, because it, uh, it always seems like that's that's people's baseline all the time. It was like Bible. So, and like, you know, their visions of what are, you know, of uh, Bible situations. So I, um, I just feel like there's a, there's just a urge in a lot of people to kind of recreate that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of that, I need to, uh, I need to fit, like, finish working on this damn uh, Sunday playlist <laughs> I've been meaning, like, to make for the longest time. Oh, what's going to be on that? Um. Okay, so I, I think I think I talked to you about this before, haven't I? Uh not the Sunday playlist. You were talking about another playlist. I remember. Okay. All right. So all right, this playlist. Um. Well, it all right, it will be Bible basic instructions before leaving Earth. Mhm. Um. It'll be that. Um. Space Ghost per Black God. Um, and I think it's, this is, I think you, I think this, this one may catch you off guard. Um, on ODB second album, um, the one that Jesus, I'm working with you. Oh man, that's my record right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, so you had that, and um, it's, it's another, it's another Space Ghost Perp song. I, I, I guess it's some type of weird mixtape song, but I think it just fits with the whole idea of being a black god and trying to get your money right. Um, I can't think of the name right now, though, but it's on uh, the compilation I mentioned um, in the previous episode, 50, 50 Blunts of Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can check that out. It's still... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's rather interesting. I, I'll give it to him. Um, also, um, Busy Bones, um, Jesus, the final song from The Gift. I'm thinking that may that may close everything out. Um, but yeah, there there, there are um, a lot of other songs I'm still trying to um, play with and try. And I'm thinking about putting on there. Yeah, I mean, now, there's I, a lot of um, a lot of Sons of Man and Killer Priests that could probably go in there. But see, that's the thing. And the thing is, I'm trying to figure out if um, if I should go like super, because I mean, I think if I go super underground with it, I mean, I think I just find a whole bunch of shit. But I want to, I want to have it like pretty balanced. But at the same time, I don't want to put um, Jesus Walks in there because I think that would be just too, too obvious. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Another good one is um, uh, you remember DMX Lord Give Me a Sign? Vaguely, that was on um his first album, right? Nah, 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 nah. That um, it was on one of his later albums, but I guess uh, I know what you're thinking about from his first album. Um, um, one of the last tracks, I guess the one after the prayer. I forget what it was called. Um, I'm ready to meet him. That's what it was. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I forgot all about DMX. He was great with those. Um, speaking of that. 
I just uh, I just pulled up smoking section and um, I see a story about DMX. Um, of course. <laughs> it says DMX and his crew reportedly robbed a guy on Easter Sunday. Oh man. Damn, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I said um, a 21-year-old man told Newark cops that DMX and the rapper's entourage fleeced him of $3,200 worth of cash at an Exxon station just after midnight. Why are you in Newark, New Jersey with that much money when you had a gas station, but... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, the victim told police that the conflict began after he recognized the rap star at the filling station on Highway 21, and the two began to talk about music. During the conversation, a member of the rapper's entourage pulled out a gun and demanded the victim's money. After the man pulled a huge wad of cash out of his pocket, DMX allegedly grabbed the money and fled in a fleet of four black Cadillac Escalades, the man told police. So, so essentially, you just this them flying off in four black Escalades kind of means that they were they didn't need the money. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe so. Um, I'm trying to remember of this DMX line that he had. Oh man, it was a line on one of his songs where he basically said. Uh, he robs people just to um, stay sharp or something like that. <laughs> That's just what this reminded me of. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I can see that. And actually, um, <laughs> that reminds me of something I heard um, before we started this episode. Um, I was listening to uh, the Ralph McDaniels interview interview on the uh, the Combat Jack show, mm-hmm. and um. You know, I never knew that he did like he did the uh the like the EPK for um for the Illmatic album and um I think he did it it ain't hard to tell too the music video too that um directed it. But he also I never knew he, he directed the uh the infamous Bobby Digital movie. Um Yeah, I do remember talking about that. Yeah, so and the thing was though, you know, he um he only mentioned it because they wanted to know like some of like the wildest shit that he's ever seen. And he said that it was like a um the extra on set and essentially the extra really was just there so he can try to sell weed to Wu Tang. And Ghostface, I guess for that day or whatever he was saying, um, was like, you know, on the set doing like his scenes and um you know, the guy came up to Ghostface and like he flashed in the weed and Ghostface got kind of he got kind of upset about it, but then he like calmed down or whatever. And he said, "Cool, like show me what you got." And then so he he saw like the guy's money or whatever like that. And then Ghostface had some goons come over and they just took all of his money and his weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you know, just because these people are rap stars, don't think that you won't get got out here. <laughs> You know that's what Cypher Sounds always always tells uh, Peter Rosenberg about it because you know he, you know I think that's I think that's why I love Walnut well, Scene so much because you had these two different people from two different worlds and just how they interact with like the hip hop artists you know like you have Peter Rosenberg like whenever someone comes up he's just like fucking starstruck practically and he's just all about the music 
and he just doesn't understand why certain people do what they do when they just catch this, this incredible music. And then, you know, Cypher Sounds always has to tell him, you know, like, it's not really about the music, you know. Essentially, they're just niggas who just do music, but they still want to be niggas at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, a lot of times when people get into it, it's not this whole, um, I, you know, artsy type of idealistic, uh, art school type of mentality that you have. It's, you know, I'm making music for the time and the situation that I'm in, trying to better myself and get out of it. I'm not necessarily thinking about, uh, all of the stuff that people think about afterwards. Like, this is the sound for the era and this and that, you know? I mean, yeah. I'm trying to say what I'm saying and get, you know, get my point across and get this money. Yeah, um, you know, like, that's the thing, like, about, about, um, more people to me, like, you can tell, obviously, they still have their, their, uh, I guess their, their feet, you know, deep in the hood, but they still have, like, this really artsy type of music, in a way, if you think about it that way, at least. But, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think they're like the perfect example, like, of, of what we're talking about right now, but for some reason, they still have, like, I guess, maybe it's a balance, a balance between still being in the streets doing what they do and still being, you know, of the music and representing whatever they, they want to represent. I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting, especially when you get into certain artists. Um, they portray themselves to be one way, but then when you look into their history and everything like that, like, you know, with, like, prodigies, um, uh, like, just going into Prodigy, his his grandmother, I think it was, who had that famous dance school. Um, yeah. And then, like, I think his grandfather started Morehouse College. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, going into all that, like his lineage is is a little bit deeper. And, you know, I guess, uh, you know, he's, he's a lot more than just a street thug from Queensbridge, you know. And it's like the same thing with somebody like Tupac. Like, if you were to just look at his music videos and stuff, you would think about him as one way, but you wouldn't know that. You know, he comes from a lineage of Black Panthers and all this, and he went to art school and all this other type of stuff, so. Yeah. Know, it's really interesting. Like, a lot of people are multifaceted and deeper than what, what, um, they're presented to be. Well, I mean, I, I remember even on the, uh, the one Upstein, I, maybe, it, I think they had him on, I think they had Prodigy on maybe two times, or, um, at least on, on one of those interviews, um, he was talking about, you know, like the like the dance school, and he said that, you know, one of his best friends to this day is like a ballerina and shit. He tours all, he tours all over the world doing doing that type of shit, and you know, he said that's his dance. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's weird though, I mean, because I guess from the outside looking in, it seems like if if you had like to pick havoc, it's kind of like the. I guess the more artsy farty type of dude with the beats and everything like that, and then Prodigy just kind of goes around, does what he does. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, from the way, the way I mean, you're reading about him and hearing about him, it seems like he's kind of like a, a studio rat, kind of sort of. Yeah, which makes it kind of interesting when, um, yeah, yeah, and like, you know, Prodigy, he, I mean, not Prodigy Havoc is always talking about going over to Germany and getting these rare records and all this type of stuff. And it's just an interesting uh, difference, like, when he's talking about that versus, like, remember when Mob Deep split up? And when he was mm-hmm. going off on Prodigy and, you know, he got his bones with him and they were talking about, you know, stuff Prodigy did in jail and all this other type of stuff. And it's just like, um, man, like, whatever happened to the R.C. Farsi part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's true. I guess that's that balance of, of, of a human being. I mean, yeah. Um... And you know, like, um, I, I, yeah, at the same party, um, the other day, um, I was talking to, uh, to somebody and about, you know, this is about like certain things, like, for, for like, uh, Nas, for example. I'm talking about him and how, if you think about it, just using him, as, using him as an example of how, like, a lot of hip hop artists we know, you know, they, they may talk certain things, but in reality, you know, they've been rich for like 20, 30 years and so, you probably think they're kind of, you know, detached from certain realities. Mm. That's um that's interesting because um Fabulous, um, I don't know if you've been checking him out recently, but he's been dropping like freestyles over classic beats. And um I think it was his Wu Tang um I think he did a Wu Tang clan nothing to fuck with. I think that was the one when he said I've been he said something like, I've been up longer than I've been down, or, you know, I've been rich longer than I haven't been. And I was like, damn, mm-hmm. you really have. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> a lot of these guys have been rich for most of their lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> crazy to think, think that, huh? <laughs> like, like, Jay-Z, you know, or like, a Nas or a Mob Deep, like these, these, like these guys have had a lot of money for a long time. I mean, like so. even um, even Noriega, although um, you know, he's one of those people that I, I don't know if he's rich or not. I mean, but like based on like you know certain certain interviews I've heard of him, you know, he you know he got like you know that that uh that that reggae tone shit. Apparently, he got like a lot of money off of for the time being. Oh yeah, and. This thing was getting like what a hundred thousand dollar advance checks off the shrimp of an album. I never, <laughs> never really did anything. <laughs> so I wonder what he. I wonder what he ever did with his money. I mean, I'm sure he has it invested up in everything, and I'm sure his royalty checks for those um those tracks he did with the Neptunes are probably pretty good. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, um, um, I think. Are they working on a new CNN album? Yeah, I think they are, but you know, I, I actually, I never, I have yet to listen to the War Report too. I'm kind of scared. It was alright. I don't know, something about, um, it was something about like the single they had with Faith Evans that just kind of turned me off about it. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like sometimes I wonder, I wonder like who who actually is hearing this, like. <laughs> Like, you know, sometimes people put out albums, and I'm like, man, 
are the people who listened to the first one when it first came out, did, like, like, did they even know that this is out, that this is a thing in the world? Mm-hmm. So, or like, um, was that the one that they put out on uh, Raekwon's Icewater label? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I remember that whole time. It's like, Raekwon did the Cuban links, too. It seemed like he was about to just start signing old rappers so they could uh, do part two to their old classic albums. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Rayquan, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Rayquan his Cuban links too, because it just it just created this fucking wave of all these old people trying to come out and you know do, um, you know, a second part of their their classic albums, which I don't think they should probably do. I mean, something like even like A Z and shit. Oh yeah. Coming out with the yeah, door die too, and I mean that's I mean I don't think there's a point because I mean you know he's. Yeah, I think he's one of the few rappers other than, than maybe like a Cormega who really sells like a lot of records independently and probably doesn't really need to do that. And then, um, I think, um, Liquid Swords 2, Supreme Client Soul 2. Oh, yeah. Um, Cuban Links 3 is supposed to come out. <laughs> oh, God. And, you know, speaking of Raekwon, um, I listened to the, uh, the single with him, French Montana, and uh, Busta Rhymes. Oh, yeah, what'd you think of that? Uh, it was way better than what I thought it would be. Um, but I think, I think, you know, like Montana just singing on the hook like that, it just made it kind of just unrequan like something that he wouldn't do. Yeah, it was, it was very unrequan like, um, but I still liked it though. <laughs> Like it would have been dope for uh, um, a French Montana and Max B collaboration. I mean, you know? yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see that. Um, I don't know. It just kind of took me back to that Coke Wave sound. Like, if it would have uh, blew up to the point where it could be pro- uh, properly mixed down. <laughs> <laughs> think of like some random girl from Canada, I think about um but I think she's a rapper though. Um alright, so remember when Obi Trice he randomly came back out with um that like that mixtape or whatever it was that had like a liquor bottle on it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and and it was like featuring some like some weird Canadian girl, but I think she was a rapper. I don't, I don't think she was a Moss. Moss. Yeah Moss. Is that a Canadian girl? I, I mean, I, I think I'm thinking Moss is a dude, but I, th- I think Moss is a Canadian, though. Oh, I think he is. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. That's right. He had like all those singles and all that. That whole album. That uh, I guess it was his third album. Yeah, but it was. It was but then, it, yeah, it was. Yeah, but it was free. I think. Let me look up uh, Obi Trice. This guy. I just remember being terribly disappointed with uh. Whatever he came up with after Shady. I mean, that was a pretty good album, you asked me. What was it? Uh, Bottoms Up, was that it? That's right, he had the, he had the Bar Shots mixtape, I think. I, I think know, it was Special Reserve. 
So what label would the bottoms up come up come come off, come come off of? Um, that's a good question. I want to say, um, Obi Trice's label that he was trying to get off the ground. Let me see if I can find it. BME. Okay. I think that's his his uh his label. I mean, man, Obi Trice on, I mean, because, I mean, the, his first album, you know, it wasn't, like, the hardest thing in the world, but it just had, like, certain tracks that were just, like, fucking gems to me. And, um, I, I think it was made, like, number 12 and number 11, but, I mean, uh, uh, it, it's the, it's the one where, um, like, with the guitars that obviously Eminem made, and if he didn't make it, I'm, I'll be surprised if he didn't. And he's, he's talking about, like, his life or whatever like that. Oh, I need to talk about. I think that was a. Uh, I, I want to say that was a Timberland beat. Really, that does not sound like a Timberland beat. But um, but, I mean, but like to this day, he has he has like one of the hardest lines I've ever heard in my life. Based on that, like that that one fucking album and one fucking song. He said, "I heard." He said, "Hearing those those holes scream oh, and hearing them always go chop." Hold on, say that again. He said he said he had those he, he or he said he had those whole the whole screaming oh and then hearing those O's go chop. Go chop? Yeah. The whole scream oh and hearing the O's I don't I don't get it. <laughs> like Coke ounces. Oh, okay. Hearing the whole scream oh and hearing the O's go chop. Chop. Yeah. I thought that shit was ingenious. Yeah, it is a dope line. I got a, um, that was on that My Life song? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was My Life. Oh, yeah, Follow My Life. I know, I, you know, I think, um, I guess outside of horrorcore, yeah, I guess we had to, like, put, like, draw a line between certain things. I think that was, like, that was, I think that was, like, a borderline horrorcore type song. But still stay within, like, I guess within the lines of being a regular rap song, but that was a violent ass song. You know, when he's talking about, um, his mother, oh, he, I think he, or he, he gets picked up, he, he gets picked on to school or whatever like that. He goes home and his mother tells him, you know, you gotta, how you put him all, whatever like that, and calls him like a bitch or something. And then so he goes back, he goes back to school and picks up a brick and it's, you know, just fucking hits, hits the kid in the face with the fucking brick. And then, like, the fucking sound effects. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, that was fucking horrorcore. Like, it was, it was pretty horrorcore to me. I gotta I, I got go back and listen to this album again. I remember playing the mess out of it, but it's interesting because um, when I think of horrorcore, I don't think of actual real-life stories. <laughs> I mean, so it's like, you know, if... If if your actual life can fit into a horrorcore rap song, then you know you probably should go see a therapist or something. 
I mean, I think a lot of these niggas need to see a therapist. I mean, I think Big L probably could have, probably could have, you know, been better if he thought he'd be saw a therapist. Because, I mean, the thing is, when I hear certain horrible things, I'm pretty sure that some of this shit is kind of real. Maybe 50, 50% of it. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, because, and the thing is, I mean, even if it's not through them, if they did it, it's always, you know, some shit in the news. So, you know, when Big L said, you know, um, I jumped out the link and left his thinking and put his brains in the street so you can see what he was, he just, was thinking. just thinking. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, because that's what niggas do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, um, this is one line that's always stuck out to me. Um, I think it was on that Graf song. Um, shoot, what was it? Um, it was on the Oracle. Um, I haven't heard that in years. Yeah, he was talking about his father, and he said something about how, like, he saw his father's um, brains. Um, damage is done. And it said something about how he saw his father's brains fly out the back of his head or something like that. And mm. I remember, you know, first hearing, I was like, man, this guy must be crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you've told me certain stories about, about him anyway. Yeah, so, um, like, um, like, just, just, I, yeah, but, like, just in high school, when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, like, that just has to be, you know, very traumatic, and then, you know, seeing other people get shot in the head like that, you know, that definitely does something to a person. I mean, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, shit, I mean, all this, all this pain and heartache from all these rappers had to come somewhere, you know. Dizzy Bone being fucking, you know, uh, abducted as a child and molested and going all the way to Oklahoma from somewhere in California, waiting on Ohio, Cleveland, yeah. where he was from and shit. So, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how this shit is. That's crazy. And then, you know, how much, how much rappers don't put out there you know, like, I'm sure Jay-Z and Jeezy um, have, you know, a lot of secrets that they'll probably take to their grave that, you know, probably only get hinted on in the music. And I guess the music is kind of like therapy for that. Well, I listened to uh, the Combat Jack show with uh, Young Jeezy, and... um. He said, like, uh, one of, like, the main things that, like, you know, that made him and Jay click was because they, they actually had, like, some type of, um, a connection with certain people in Miami, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't say the names, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I mean, I guess that's some, you know, that's some real stuff, like, and I guess that has to do, like, how Jay-Z kind of, Jay-Z, he was like one of the first guys to really, you know, kind of bridge the North and South gap because, you know, he's always doing songs with Scarface and, um, you know, he, he did that big song with UGK and he had Juvenile on his song and he got on Juvenile's song and, you know, that, and, you know, I guess back then, you know, that was the reason why he was doing that and because he was, you know, Dibbling and dabbling in the things that he was doing down south, and um, so uh, you know, uh, picked up some of that stuff. 
So uh, are you mentioning Juvenile because you you, you listened to the uh, the Combat Jack show with him on it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's in my mind. <laughs> yeah, like um, yeah. I, um, I forgot all about that uh, that fucking remix. Um, to this day, I still feel that that uh that Juvenile song is. I, I you know, I really don't know what to say about it. I mean, because I mean, I, I mean, it's it, it's awkward as shit. And you know, and, you know, and over the over the years, I mean, you we've had like these these conversations about these weird, awkward songs that for some reason they become hits like, you know, um, like Santana's Town, which I think is probably like the epitome of awkward songs that become hits. Yeah. At least within the black community. Yeah. But, I mean, um... I mean, going back and listening to Dipset, you know, that whole flow and everything was kind of awkward with them, but it worked. I mean, when, I mean, but it's, it's not, it's not everything to me. Oh, matter of fact, I, I found the, uh, I found the, um, the purple haze mixtape. Oh, you did? Yeah, someone put it up on, on that piff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but it's like, it's something about that fucking song. That Santana's, it, 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 it's the weirdest song, one of the weirdest songs I've ever heard in my life. Awesome, like some awesome type shit like that. It makes no sense. Well, he like he he's rapping about whatever he's rapping about, and he had camera on out of nowhere with these people, pink bandanas, you know, in in like a in the all white bins, just uh, saying the cool. However, the cause it makes no sense at all. And then the beat is just weird as shit. The beat is the beat is off beat, <laughs> technically in a way. I guess it it uh, works for them. Um... Shoot, that was another awkward song I was thinking about. You ever heard of uh, this, this, this guy named Manolo Fresh? Yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. And uh, he has a song called Run, Ricky, Run. <laughs> <laughs> no, never heard of that, no. Oh, man. It's, uh, and, and, and I heard about this song from a Combat Jack uh, show, and, um, and he was talking about how he couldn't get with the song. He didn't know what was going on. It's like the guy wasn't on beat, and it wasn't really a beat. But then he saw him perform it live, and then then he started to understand. But um, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting song. Like you gotta you gotta check that song out. That's all I can say. It's, I mean, right. you know, it's, it's, it's based, of course, off of um, uh, Boys in the Hood. Um, and then it gets into some other hood movies. Um, but, yeah, man, run, Ricky, run. <laughs> All right. He's just screaming on this on this song. He has a video for it, too. Um, we, you know, like, when it comes to... Um, and then, you know, I, I think this is like, it's still like a stigma, like, you know, like, you know, we, like, you know, we sit up here and talk about, you know, these awkward, weird, weird rap songs. And, you know, we, we talk about them, but then if you think about it, you know, like in rock, like, you know, when it comes to the genre of rock and roll or I guess jazz, whatever like that, you do have these awkward songs that do come out, but, and I, I'm not entirely sure if like the reason why we <laughs> harking back on these weird ass songs it's just based on like the art, or just because we just got kind, of, kind of like thrown, like taken aback from the awkwardness of these songs. When you know, if you think about it, 
feel like, you know, each and every genre, these types of songs are accepted, you know, over time. You know, I was having to talk with my brother about, um, you know, like hip hop, and he doesn't really, he doesn't like, you know, especially after Kendrick's album, he doesn't like the way it's going. But, you know, like all this singy, songy type shit or whatever like that. And then I was thinking, um, because he gave me a book on, uh, on the Beatles, um, a while back. And I, I haven't read it all, but I was reading about, like, the story of John Lennon and how, um, you know, they had to go through certain things, especially in Britain, you know, um, being considered, being considered a teddy boy. Um, and essentially it's like, I guess dressing up like, I guess Elvis or whoever was like the shit back in like the in the late fifties. And, you know, at that time, rock and roll was like a rebellious culture and how, you know, how, um, how I guess, you know, like a lot of hip hop people, they had like, they had to sit around for hours on in, like to get a little bit of like a hip hop for maybe like two or three hours. And they made, they made sure they picked all the shit. It was the same thing with John Lennon and, and all, and all of them. They had to hurt that, like to set their antennas a certain type of way to make sure they could get it. But like, it was still really fucked up. But anything they could do, like three in the morning, like to try to get some rock and roll, they could, um, they would do. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, eventually you see rock and roll becoming this big thing and then it's, it dies down slowly. And now you have these articles about is rock and roll dead or is rock and roll this, is rock and roll that. But rock and roll essentially is, you know, it kind of, it, it fused into other different things, you know, with Radiohead doing what they did with it and, um, you know, other artists. And right now I see hip hop doing the same thing because, I mean, it's, it's kind of reached that, that pinnacle, that peak. And kind of think about it, it kind of, I guess it kind of like died down after 50 Cent's massive takeover. It was Eminem that 50 Cent just kind of killed everything and it's all, it's all downhill, kind of sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely to that point now where it's becoming more of a, I guess, a niche um, type of thing, which is kind of weird, too, because it's it's like the things that are big aren't necessarily the things that that are selling or that are broadcasted or, um, like, for instance, you know how, like, you know, we always talk about the things that are kind of, like, big to us, like, you know, the Kendrick Lamar album and the J. Cole album and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people don't still don't know who these people are. <laughs> That's true. And J. Cole just went platinum. He did? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Oh. I mean, you know, some of that's based off of streaming, of course. And the new oh, way yeah. that they count it, but um, yeah, he's platinum. And um, I saw a stat that says that he's the first um, rapper in 25 years to go platinum without having one feature. Mm. I don't know how true that is, but that's uh, quite an accomplishment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll say, I mean, uh, I mean, shit, I mean, it's kind of weird, though, I mean, because, like, uh, when Kendrick's album came out, you know, um, uh, uh, um, Anthony, he, uh, he, he hit me on me, like, two days after it came out, asked me, he asked me if I listened to it, mm. which, personally, I was kind of surprised that he did that, 
because I never thought that he probably even be paying attention or something like that, but obviously he does. Yeah. For whatever reason, but um, I still, I still see, I still see your point about you know, I mean, I guess, well, I guess I can say that you know, a lot of people they they may know of it, but they don't really know it, know it maybe like how we do when it comes to paying attention to this type of shit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My girl, she was like the other day. She was like, "Oh yeah, that um." That guy that you like, that that Kendrick guy that you like. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> so I was like, oh man, and you know, it's it's always interesting, you know, what they play on the radio. Like um, the other day, she was um, listening to uh, 92Q, and um, there's a song by this guy. You ever heard of Young Dolph? Yeah. Yeah, he's down like Gucci Man in them, and so he's actually getting some radio play with this one song, and she really likes the song, and like, she asked me if I like it, and I was like, you know, it's cool, um, but it's just a song, like, and, you know, it's not like, like, you know, just because this is getting airplay, it's, you know, this isn't necessarily something that's big, it's not necessarily something that you know, is really getting attention, you know, I guess, in, in you know, music in general, you know, mm-hmm. not saying that necessarily, you know, matters or not, but it's not going to get, like, the attention of, like, a Kendrick Lamar album would or something like that. And just because you're hearing it on this radio doesn't necessarily mean that that's more valid or more relevant than, you know, the Kendrick album. Uh, I mean, actually, I, I only know of Young Dolph because of um, Gucci Mane mixtapes that I've listened to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, I think a lot of people still have this perception that, like, you know, the this, this more street or super thugged out rat is what's really popping. When, when you look at numbers, it's really not. Like, that whole thing is kind of dying. And it's kind of coming back to, you know, I guess you would call them not necessarily history type of rappers, but, you know, I guess rappers with more content versus just straight shoot them up. Or, like, if you are on some, you know, real street stuff, you got to have something different about you. Like, I guess like a Meek Mill, you know, he can really rap and his voice is different. I know, I mean, like, speaking of that, do you think um, Maybach Music's reign is over now, or do you think it'll be revived through Meek's uh, album? I don't know, man. That's weird. Oh, yeah, I did listen to, uh, I, I listened to Wale's album. Uh, the album uh-huh. nothing. And yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Like, it's good, I guess. Like, I feel bad because, um, you know, just, just some things that Wally has been saying in his interviews about, you know, him wanting respect and all this other type of stuff. And um, I'm, I'm listening to the album, and, I mean, it, I guess there's like maybe two or three songs that really stick out to me. But, um, I'm like, I, like, I'm really listening to it and really trying to really like it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, I like his his last two albums. You know, they're pretty cool, but nothing is really sticking out to me. And he 
I think he is Maybach Music's best shot at, you know, having some type of longevity. And I don't know if they're going to get that with this. I mean, you know, I, and I can see that because um, I listened to uh, the Combat Jack, uh, Rick Ross episode, like, last week or earlier this week or whatever. And, um, you know, he was he was going to, like, you know, Stalley and Meek Mill and, and Wally, of course. And it seemed like Rick Ross, to a certain extent, the way he was talking about their artists, he put, like, a lot of stock in Meek Mill, um, which I think is probably not the best thing for him to do. But um, also when it comes to, like, Maybach music, I think he, I think personally he kind of hurt his brand by by, um, by coming out with two albums in one year. Yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, like, the type of client, you know, we're, we're not in the in the, the climate when DMX came out with the uh, the Great Depression and the, uh, that other album that did, you know, they both did platinum and shit like that, or or even, like, Nelly, Nelly's uh, Sweatsuit album. Yeah. You just can't do that shit anymore, but... um. You know, he was talking about Wale, and I was like, just hard, you know, going back to when I first listened to, you know, his, his the, the, the last album he did, um, and pretty much, I, you know, remembering we were outside, I like, was going to like the Seven Eleven, like to, to get something to smoke or whatever, or whatever, and he put on, um, it's my ambition, nigga. Oh yeah. And I, I, I vividly remember saying, yo, who the fuck is this? And you said it's Wale. I, I just couldn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was, and I think that was right before the, uh, I think the, I think the, like the Common song that had Nas on it or something like that. With no, the Nas song that had Common on it, I think. Or um, off of Nas's album, I think. No, 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 no. It was a, um, it was, it was, it was a Common song with Nas on it that was on that album that Common did with uh, No ID. Ghetto okay. Dream. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so you know, I was thinking about that, and and then you know, I um, I, I eventually, I, although I think I think you mentioned it to me, but um, I eventually I uh, I, I listened to Lotus Flower Bomb through Nine Two Q. My mother, you know, my mother was listening to it, and essentially, I think that's like the, you know, I. I, I guess like the I guess one of the best examples of what Wale can do, even on a commercial level, is that song. I mean, because even if you think about I guess like his um I guess Nike books and like you know other singles that he has had before he became I guess before attention deficit. Because I always felt like even um the um the first thing that came off attention deficit, which was supposedly really big, it really didn't feel like Wale. But I think Lotus Flower Bomb really captured. The person that he really wants to be, and you know, even like the, the shit with his last album, the shit with um him, Nicki Minaj, and whoever else. I mean, I, I, I just can't say that the type of shit seriously when it comes to him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys where his if you really want to get like the dope stuff from him, you got to go to his earlier mixtapes, and um, of course, when he mixes that go-go type of sound with it, it's always dope. Um. And, you know, one thing that people kind of neglect from him and don't give him his credit for is that, um, you know, he's broken a record like twice for like urban radio spins and stuff like that. I think Lotus Flower Bomb was one of the songs and I forget what the um, other one was. But, um, you know, this album, 
Um, you know, he did it with Jerry Seinfeld, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm wondering, is this the thing that's going to take him to that next level and be cement and have him be cemented in like the top tier of hip hop, like he would like to be? You know, mentioned with the Kendricks and the and the uh, J. Coles, and even I think I think Big Sean has uh, gotten to that level now. Um, and it's like Wale, he was like the first one, and he's not getting his, uh, you know, his just due. I do think something about him, his voice just doesn't sound right on a lot of things to me, though. Like, he has a weird way of pronouncing his words, and sometimes the way that he flows, it doesn't, like, it's kind of hard to, 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 to listen to. It's kind of like mumble mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. like... The way it's mixed down sometimes, like, something with this album, um, this newest album, it's like, the reverb on it, or the, and the, and the delay that they use, sometimes it makes some of the songs hard to listen to, but, um, this is one song that's on there in particular that he has with SZA from TDE that I think would be a dope single, um, that song just really sticks out, I find myself playing that a lot. So hopefully he does something because um, in one of his interviews, I think it was an interview he did with uh, Rolling Stone or Complex, he said mm-hmm. something about um, about Katy Perry's bodyguards like moving him out of the way, like he's not an artist or something like that. Oh and damn! It made me think like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, now would it be the same thing with Kendrick or J Cole? I mean, that's a good question. That's a great question. And um, I was um, speaking of um, Kendrick and J. Cole. Um, I don't know if you peeped it. Uh, I think last year before J. Cole's album came out, they asked him about the uh, project that he's supposed to do with Kendrick that they've been talking about for all these years. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, yeah, they're still doing that. You know, he's doing his album first, and then he's going to let Kendrick come out, and then they're going to shut the summer down. So now they're asking uh, Kendrick, you know, what's up with that J. Cole project? And he said, oh, yeah, that's definitely coming out. And, you know, they just had to find the time to record it and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if, they, you know, they have a plan to put out their joint project this summer. And if so, that is going to definitely do some things. I mean, you know, like uh, the way I see that that project is the same way I see AZ and not as for real. I don't think it's ever coming out. I don't know. I mean, in this in this generation, you know, things are coming out. I mean, detox has yet to come out. That's true, but I mean, like, I guess I guess collaborative efforts. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, you did have Watch the Throne, which came out. I mean, you know, you know that wasn't really surprising. With I mean, surprising to me. I mean, like you know, Kanye has like a, a list of like the, the Jay Z songs or whatever it is on them that he made. Mm. So I, I, I mean, I'm not that surprised with it. But you know, Kendrick and J Cole, you know, they they both have certain type of egos, and and the reason why I'm saying egos is because if you just look at this listen listen to Kendrick's album. He just he it seems like he just has a certain air about him now now and shit. <laughs> like he really thinks he's the savior of black people sometimes. 
which I don't like. Um, and you know, I mean, J. Cole. I mean, although I mean, it seems like like based on like the, the, the Combat Jack interview, it seemed like he really humbled himself over time because of, I mean, around the time of Born Center, he was just like an angry black man for real. Yeah, that I mean, that album was just. You know, I liked it, but he was he was just going off on that one. <laughs> yeah, like, it wasn't really he wasn't really talking about you know anything conscious or any type of issues and stuff. I just remember him just rapping and cursing a lot on that album. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I mean, cause sometimes like even like going back to the album, I think Crooked Smile was kind of like a. It was kind of like you know it, it was I don't know it was kind of desperate in a way. Like, it seemed like he just felt that he had to do it just because he feels as though that he knows what's, be- what's best for other people. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, I didn't really think about it like that, but yeah, it is interesting. And it's interesting, too, like, um, I guess, you know, especially with Kendrick, how, and, you know, rappers do this all the time um, when they get on the interview and they say, like, yeah, you know, I just want to do my music, but, you know, also I want to teach people. And it's like, who are you to be teaching people? Like, Yeah, man. Like, who who made you the teacher of uh, of the people? Like, like, what do you know? Or, you know, just because you can rap, now you got to teach people. Like, that's like if, um, if uh, Gucci Mane you know, decides he wants to become a conscious rapper and say he wants to teach people, like, <laughs> you know, okay. Right. Yeah, I'm, um, I had, um, a conversation with, um, with, like, a colleague of mine or whatever like that, and, um, hopefully if everything goes right, we're going to go, um, I'm going to go digging with her, um, over the weekend, this coming weekend. Um. Huh? What kind of digging? Oh, I'm um, uh record digging. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason why I asked it is because um you were talking about uh archaeology. You know, you were um, trying to get into archaeology before, so you know, I, you know. I, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So, so digging can mean a lot of things <laughs> coming from you. Yeah, yeah, it can. Good point. But yeah, so um, we kind of talked about it earlier today about you know me going um, me going re- uh, record digging with her, oh. and um, she she mentioned uh, J. Rue the Damages song, um, History One Hundred One, which is from his uh, album entitled Still Rising from I think like two thousand seven. And it's an album that I've never, I, I, I forgot all about. I listened to, like, you know, back when I was in high school. And, um, I mean, History 101 is cool. I'm not really mad at it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's literally like, this, like, straight history from, like, 14, like, fucking 1450 up until, like, 1505 or something like that. And it's all on the slave trade. And, I mean, the thing is, though, if you try and do, like, a song like that, you you really you I mean there's no way you can kind of beat around being kind of preachy um to a certain extent but I mean but he but he still did it like in, in an interesting way though but 
I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I had I had a conversation with you know um, someone else about Kendrick's album. He's a pretty, I would say he's a pretty big Kendrick fan. Mm-hmm. And you know he wasn't really feeling it. He said like the, he, he felt like the the, the, uh, the Tupac thing at the end was kind of corny, um, and he just he didn't see why he had to try to make this whole big thing out of like the fucking butterfly and all this and that. And you know it kind of got me thinking about even like the whole um, Negus thing. I mean it was cool. Like even like the way he did like the like the the live version of I that's on the album. Yeah, but. Even if he did, you know, the whole thing about the niggas, it shouldn't have been like a long, drawn-out skit about him pretty much telling people. Pretty much, the, the skit is, is literally him preaching to people. That's what that, that's what that shit is. I just realized it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's like it, it goes on for like what three to four minutes, and he's just talking about, you know, we we don't need to be doing this no more and shit like that. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I didn't think of that. He yeah, he is literally preaching to people. And it's funny cuz they asked him um about being preachy. I mean, I'm in one of his interviews and he was like, you know, he doesn't feel like he's being preachy, but he's literally preaching. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I I don't know, I don't know what to say about this, man. I mean, it, 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 it like this whole type of shit can go like really bad in, in a in a quick second when it comes to niggas preaching. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about this uh, earlier, actually, um, just about consciousness and hip-hop, and it seems like we're coming back to a second wave of it, but it seems like this wave is, is watered down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's watered down to where, you know, you have this whole liberal type of thing where there's a certain opinion that you're supposed to have about everything. And if you don't have that, op- and then like if you have this opinion, then you are allowed to preach. But if you don't, then you're not. Mm. And so it's not it's not like the same type of preaching from you know when 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 Karis One was was teaching. And it's interesting because Karis One actually said he was the teacher. <laughs> yeah. And then he came out and on his records and taught. But it's like now. um you know, it's kind of like a watered-down thing. Like, you know, are these people who are preaching to you, like, have they read anything? Like, what do they know? Like, what are their credentials when it comes to this? Right. Um, you know, I wonder if, um, you know, like, uh, I guess, it's, I guess, like, the whole dichotomy of, of like, you know, liberalism and, and I guess, uh, I guess, you know, like the Republican Party or whatever like that. I wonder if some of the things that go into hip-hop when it comes to, like, the consciousness, at least now, has something to do with, you know, these weird empires that have been made through, you know, the through cable news, through, like, the MSNBCs, the Fox News, and the CNNs. Yeah, it, um, it definitely seems like that, and... And then, you know, now that you mention it, um, it makes me think about when, um, I guess how, how, how music genres have, uh, been kind of falling up like along political lines. And it makes me think of, um, when Ted Cruz announced that he was running and they, uh, interviewed him and 
he said that basically after 9-11, he stopped listening to rock music. Um, he listens to country music because they because he liked their response to 9-11 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like how, you know, country music has become the conservative type of thing, and I guess hip-hop is the liberal kind of thing. And then rock is kind of liberal-leaning, but kind of in the middle a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, that's, you know, that's what it's going to be. And you can't come out as a Republican-leaning rapper, and you can't really be like a liberal country music guy. Even though, on the record, if you listen to country music now, they're talking about the same type of stuff that they talk about in hip-hop, at least on the radio records, and country music even has 808s in it now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they got some bass in them. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, there was this one song that uh, my friend uh, told me like to, to check out. I think it's called like by like a thousand horses or something horses, and it's um it's a it's a song called Smoke or whatever, whatever it's called. I think it's called Smoke, and um it's about it's about um pretty much a song where the guy's pretty much equating the girl that he's trying like to to, to get with the smoke. Actually, it's not bad, and it makes you want to smoke after you hear it. But it's a pretty decent song. But um, but yeah, man, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know about the eight oh eights coming into into country music like that. I mean, if you listen to uh, there's this group called Florida Georgia Line, and um, I don't know if we talked about this before. I, I listened to one of their songs. Basically, like a lot of the country music songs are like kind of like spring break type anthems, and like. In that music video, it's just like a whole bunch of drinking, and they're on these big old trucks and stuff, and they're basically kind of like rapping in the songs. And one of the songs says something like, um, I got my beer, and I'm listening to my hip-hop music, or something like that. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it's really interesting because you see how, you know, they do the same things as us, but it's just like a little bit of a different beat behind it. Yeah. So, uh, and there's this whole thing about, you know, commercial country music. Um, you know, like a lot of people are mad because they're kind of taken from hip hop a whole lot. And, um, there's this whole new genre of, uh, music that, um, I was actually reading about it because, um, there was this long Bubba Sparks article that I read, um, a little while ago. And, um, mm-hmm. he's a part of this label now. And they kind of do like this country rap music, um, and and I haven't listened to a lot of it, but I'm imagining it's probably kind of like the sound of uh, Bubba Sparks' second album a little bit. Yeah, it's basically like, um, kind of like you know a blending of the genres, and I thought that was pretty interesting because like country music, you know, I used to hate it, but I don't really hate it so much anymore. That's some really interesting stuff. You know that going on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. Still trying to get into it. As this guy uh, Sturgill Simpson, um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's been getting a lot of buzz recently, and um, he's independent. And um, actually, I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast, and that kind of got me into him. So I got his two albums, and I was listening to him. And um, he has an album called Turtles All the Way Down. 
and it's basically about um I guess in Hinduism there's like, you know, how does the world stay up and it's like, you know, it's stays up from like these turtles that are stacked up and hold the world up or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so um he talks about things that aren't necessarily talked about in country records. Like he talks about uh taking psychedelic trips and stuff like that. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So it's kinda like psychedelic country music. And it's uh it's it, it's pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, to uh, expand the musical horizon, uh, horizons. Yeah. Well, see, I mean, I guess that's. The, I mean, you know, I, and that's the thing. Like, you know, whenever you have a uh, a genre, if you th- I mean, if you think about them and any other, any, every genre, even including jazz, you know, it starts off as something rebellious because no one wants to like really hear that type of shit. Because only only the the young people are on it, and then eventually over time it goes into like this big thing, and then it just starts to you know I guess go into different types of genres and expands its 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 soundscapes, and then next thing you know it's just like a it's just a regular fabric of modern of the modern society. Yeah, yeah, and you know I guess with uh. Hip hop has become that, and then it's like you know what's what's coming next. That's that's always what I've been kind of looking towards is what's coming next. And then everybody was saying it was dubstep, but that seems like it's kind of fizzled out a little bit. And then um, I guess maybe some of the EDM genres, but they're not really clicking mainstream because you know people need words in their music. So I don't know what that next thing is going to be. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it'll come out of somewhere. Like it always does. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe we have to go through some more iterations of hip-hop to um, get to that point, but... Mm. <laughs> I've been through a lot of them already. That's true. I mean, I guess... The direction of hip I guess... Uh, we're going through this weird phase now of, um, I guess it's kind of like the, uh, electro hip hop or like, um, EDM influence hip hop, the trap booming sounds. Even that's kind of like fizzling out. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe now we're getting more into the hip hop band type thing. Like, um, Kendrick's album, you know, like how I said, it kind of reminds me of a Roots album and how, to me, it, 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 it's not a Kendrick album, more so of it's everybody who created that album, and Kendrick just happens to be the lead singer. Yeah. I can see that. So, um, I don't know. Oh. So, um, so, um, did I, did I, did I tell you about the, uh, about me going, possibly going to Germany? Uh, you mentioned it um, a little bit, but I don't think we really got into it. <laughs> okay, so um, essentially, like the thing that sucks about about the program is that um, you got to put like all the money up front, mm. and um, and the program, you know, they they pay for your your tuition in full for the institute, and then like they give you a certain amount of money for 
um, you know, like for for travel and for and for like for for a place for you to stay. And um, that's cool, but it's like it's still like not enough for me like to really go because I still gotta you know pay for food and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I go to um, the department. I had like a meeting with uh, you know the 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 head of the head of my department, and um, like you know, and uh, like for pretty much, I'm trying to get like I'm trying to to get back what I paid for Canada, which I, I did. I, I am getting back, thankfully. Oh. Um, yeah, and, um, and, like, the Jeremy thing, and, you know, he said it's not a problem, you know, just put in, like, the little travel assistance joint form, whatever like that, I'm like, all right, cool. So I do that, you know, you got to do, like, a one-page narrative, whatever like that. Um, but also, I, I had, like, to really, like, do, like, the, the budget, like, really deeply. And pretty much, based on my calculations... It'll really be a stretch for me to go to Germany uh, if I got to put all this money up front. So I was trying to find different ways if I can, like, get reimbursed certain amounts of money as I'm going through the, through the, through the process. But um, I, I was talking to, like, the guy from Germany. He said it's not going to happen. And um, even, you know, when they put, like, the reimbursement in, it may be up to, like, three weeks to, like, a month until I get some shit. And I still got to, like, maintain shit here. Where I'm at, so um, I'm not. I'm not. I, um, I'm not sure if I can even go. But the thing that kind of sucks is that um, in, in these apartments, when something good happens, you know, they circulated all throughout the part, all throughout the, the uh, department. And so I had to turn in my travel assistant assistant stuff to my to like the chair of the department. And then next thing I know, the same day later on, he sends out an email with me and this other person who you we go you know me with the Germany thing and her with something else that she did. Oh man! And yeah, so I was so you know I got um someone called me about it, you know, congratulating me. I've gotten three different other congratulations, and this other guy he wants to put it in like some type of campus publication or whatever like that. So I, I just before I got on the phone with you, I had to. Tell him I'm not even sure I'm going. So other than that, I would I probably, you know, say yeah. So it's very annoying, essentially. Oh man! So now it's like they even broadcasted that 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 you're going. <laughs> yeah. And and you don't even know yet. Exactly. Um. And and now, like you know, like one of the people who you know who I'm I'm, I'm pretty close with, you know, professor wise. Um. He really, like, I was supposed to meet with him anyway before I went to Canada, but it didn't work out that way because he was in Germany. And now he's like, oh, man, now since you're going to Germany, I really got to see you now. And so I got to see him Tuesday, and I got to explain everything to him. So for the, past, for the past few days, I've been explaining to people who have been, like, coming up to me, asking me all these weird questions or whatever else, and saying, I don't know if I can even go. Shit. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully, maybe t- maybe some money will come out of that conversation Tuesday. I mean, that's what I'm hoping. I, that's the only thing about like the way this shit goes is that they won't give me any type of money up front. Now, I mean, I don't know what they think. Like, maybe they got money like that, or whatever. But it's very annoying. But um, you know, I me mean, because I wasn't sure if I would, if I would be able to go to Canada and I went. So maybe I can pull something out of my head. I mean, I guess they're used to people who, you know, whose parents probably foot a lot of the bills and stuff like that. So, it's, you know. 
No, yeah, I can see that. I mean, there are some people here who do have that type of baggage. So, I don't know. Hopefully, everything goes down. What are you um, going to be doing in Germany if you're able to go? Well, it's a, a Borderlands Institute. So, essentially, it's on the concept of Borderlands. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like it's a really broad topic. So I remember you telling about that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so me, so pretty much, you know, like, the, what I sent them in, I was just talking about the concept of racial borders and how important that concept is to my research. Um, but it's a, uh, it's like a joint program through the University of Bremen and, and, uh, North Carolina Chapel Hill. And, um, the thing about Bremen is that, uh, their university is, like, really, like, renowned for their, their, um, their, uh, their political science department. And was essentially Borderlands falls under the the, the uh, it falls under political science. So I figured it'd be a good thing if I go there to learn more about it, and maybe I can learn some new uh, methods on the concepts on the concept of, of Borderlands, especially uh, when it comes to this institute. They talk about, I guess, to a certain extent, modern mo- modern Borderlands and how um, Borderlands. Um, overall, kind of fit into like the into like the recent um, processes of decolonization that that has been going on um, all throughout the world as a, as a re, uh, recently. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, you get, you get two different perspectives. So you get like an American perspective on Borderlands, and then um, and then a Germanic um, perspective on Borderlands too from the people in Bremen. So I think I mean I think it will be interesting. And the thing that sucks about it though is that uh, um, I gotta if I do go I gotta I gotta put in like a four or five page research paper and send that in by April thirtieth. Mm, that's quick. <laughs> it's very quick, so I got I got some shit to do. Speaking of Borderlands, um, I was listening to uh, you know John I think it was uh, John Clark. John Henry, mm. uh, uh, John Henry, Henry Clark. And, uh-huh. um, he was talking about um, the concept, the the, the uh, European concept, I guess, of uh, countries versus like the African concept or whatever, and how you know the European concept is kind of like lines drawn uh, drawn on a map, where he was talking about like you know African kingdom is not necessarily um, something that's drawn on the map is like you keep it with you and it's more fluid and, you know, it's more based on the people than it is like, you know, specific drawn out territories and stuff like that. And I thought that was pretty interesting, like how, you know, our concepts of, you know, countries and stuff like that are kind of based on you know, define borderlands on the map, but it wasn't necessarily always like that, and it's not like that in every type of civilization. Like, you think yeah. about, like, an African kingdom, you know, your borderland is wherever your people are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, like now, as a, recently, that's, like, a one element of my research when it comes to, um, essentially, you know, why Native Americans, um, you know, like, well, why, like, why the African American community, you know, like, I guess historically, why they always associate freedom with Native Americans. 
Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why is because if, you know, if you go back into, you know, let's say the, you know, I guess the, the 18th century when they were still, you know, bringing in um, a lot of African slaves, you know, who they, they weren't American yet. Um, you know, they had, a, they had you know, a lot of similarities when it came to Native Americans in regards to, to kinship practices and as well as, you know, tri tribal practices and so on and so forth, especially, um, you know, uh, religious practices as well. And so it just kind of makes sense, you know, um, although, you know, some of them, some of them weren't slaved by, by Native Americans, but it makes sense why a lot of them were, um, were protected by Native Americans or why Native Americans were rather protected runaway slaves because they had a lot in common when it came to, like, you know, when it came to, like, the ways they, they lived. And that's, that's interesting because, like, it's 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 uh, interesting how um, you know you have these commonalities in these uh, societies that are you know have oceans between them, and how kind of the same thing happened to them with you know European powers coming in and taking over. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, so yeah, you know, like um, I, I think. I mean, cause it, I mean, it, it's been something that's that's been kind of you know like kind of talked about and you know in uh, in the history of the relationships between Africans and Native Americans, but I think it really hasn't been spelled out properly because um you know you know I mean we, we've always heard about these stories about you know being mixed with you know with Indians and all this other type of stuff and other than that we don't really know why you know like why is that like what, like what really makes like, you know, what, what made Africans and Native Americans, like, really uh, gel together the way we keep hearing through all these family oral histories, uh, other than the fact that, you know, that they were enslaved together, I mean, in, in, certain, in certain instances, but that wasn't always the case, though. Yeah. And so I think, I think you know, just this, this, that alone, if you think about the way that, that, they, that they both lived, um, it makes a lot of sense. Um and also, you know, I guess the way the way black people are now, like how black people always need to stick together and go into like um, slave societies in, in the rural south, where they had like the like the big ass plantations. And if you think about it, um, like the way the way um, the way like slave communities were like were set up, they could be. I mean, they would go like a really, really, really long time without seeing one white person. It would just be them. And this is where you get these different. These different rich type of cultures, sort of like you know, like the uh, the Gullah culture, right? Um, it pretty much it came out of that. So you had certain slave communities that developed their own languages over time, you know, mixed with you know the African heritage, English, and just being amongst themselves for for such a long period of time. One group of people that definitely um, I've always been fascinated by, like the Gullah and the Geechee, and um, you know how all that came about, and you know why it seems like that's not more prevalent now um, across more of a of the um, black community in America, because um, you know we don't really have or we don't necessarily really feel that connection to 
you know, Africa or even our ancestors who were enslaved the way that, you know, we probably could, you know, beyond, like, hearing stories and stuff like that. Yeah. um, It makes me wonder how things would be different if, um, you know, if, if that were the case, if more of us had that kind of gullah type of stick together type of thing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I don't know, I think a lot of that would depend on certain, I guess on certain factors, but, um, you know, I mean, just based on, like, what I've been reading, I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, to a certain extent, if, um, slave community, like, you no, know, just the whole idea of the slave community in, in like, in the rural south and in the, in the deep south, if it has some type of weird effect on, you know, I guess black, black relations overall, you know, you have these close, these closely knitted families and, you know, they, they all stuck together. So even when you have certain people going, you know, further west, you know, like to try like to settle in an all black town or something like that, you have, um, you know, they were pretty much all with their family. And even, um, when you have runaway slaves and you had, um, you had, uh, ma- uh, maroon communities that developed over time from these runaway slaves. Um, they would stay in the swamps, you know, kind of like in these remote areas, you know, out, you know, from, from the eye of the, of the slave catchers, but they stuck really close to their slave community, the, the community they came from in order to make sure they could always be with their family. It kind of reminds me of, um, the whole thing with clans. I guess uh, when you think of clans, you kind of think of the Irish, but um, it's kind of like the same type of thing, like big extended families traveling together and living together and, you know, creating a society within each other. Yeah, man, like, uh, for some reason, I never really thought about it that way, but, you know, like, recently, um, I was talking to, um, a professor of mine, he's, um, you know, he, he's a, he's a Native American historian, he doesn't know, like, a lot about black history, but he just said that, um, you know, just based on, like, you know, what he's read, like, in his undergrad career, or graduate career on black people, and it's these slave communities, he says that the way they migrated, he says it seems pretty tribal to him, like, if he, if he had to, to compare with Native Americans. And I never thought about it that way, and so, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, and that word, that word tribal is an interesting word, because it seems like it's used to kind of degrade or um, make the way that people do things seem less than when when you think about it, that's kind of the natural way that everybody kind of does things. Like, you can even look at um, the way white people, when black people move into a neighborhood and white people find a new neighborhood and they all move there together um, to get away from black people, that's kind of tribal migration in a modern form. Mm. But of course, mm, they don't use that. that. Yeah, yeah, but they don't use that tribal word, <laughs> right? But you know, they put that tribal word on brown people to make us seem primitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of went through, uh, well, like looking at certain like towns 
and the Creek Nation that were formed. Um, I'm working on a paper and shit, and um, one of the like the towns that I'm working on right now is like uh, it's called Tula Tulahassee. I think I'm saying that right. And um, Tulahassee. It's it's either Tulahassee or Tulahassee. Um, and as of right now, it's like one of like one of the oldest surviving black towns in Oklahoma, uh, and like the origins go back to like 1850. And um, you know, like um, essentially, you know, when it came when it comes to like black towns, um, I guess the origins of you know like a lot of like the towns, especially in Indian territory, they were just like mere settlements, and they were like really only like three. Towns like maybe like you know in their like you know, before emancipation of like these freed black people, um, and then they were able to like vote um, when elected officials and stuff like that. But then over time, you had like you know um, certain ones that actually became like these, these pretty I guess prominent towns at least amongst black people. And Tallahassee, it was um, one of those type of it was like a t- it was a town that originally that had that comprised I think of, like you know full blooded Creek Indians. And it was based around um, the school that was built by the Creek Nation for um, for for the Creek children, but for some reason, um, blacks started to, like to kind of like you know migrate and huddle around the school, and then over time, um, all the Creek all the Creek people, um, the full blooded Creeks, they all fled and went somewhere else, and then um, Tallahassee just became a black town because the Creeks didn't want to be around the niggas. And then eventually, I think some years later, or like maybe 20 years later, or whatever, they just gave, um, the Creek Nation gave the school to to the Creek Freedmen. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. I was reading like a travel account. Um, this guy was talking about, um, like, since he was talking about this place called Arkansas Town, and he like, he said he was like walking like walking through it, and he says like for miles you see like you know these scatters of scatterings of niggers everywhere, and he said that by um he said he was really happy to get out of the black town into like the actual creek town because it was much more lively, and he said something about he he said something crazy about he 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 felt as though he he walked through barbarism and went into civilization or something like that. <laughs> wow. How, yeah. does, how does all that make you feel? Um, you know, it's, I mean, sometimes, I, I think, you know, we talked about this before, you know, like sometimes I do feel like, I feel like really depressed, just like reading a book on Indians and how they've been massacred or reading a book on blacks or just reading about white people just killing each other every five minutes. Essentially, whenever whenever you pick up a history book, that's what you're probably going to read about people killing each other, or doing some crazy, some crazy sneaky shit to take over the world. And you know, sometimes I do like feel like really down, you know, just thinking about certain things. And so, um, you know, there are certain times like you know, I just gotta like just put like put the book down because I just can't take it. Sometimes just read. That's all you read. It's, it's like a it's like a reality show for like 400 pages. It's kind of like um, it's, it's kind of taken me a long time to get through this book. Um, what's it called? I was telling you about it before. Um, uh, a brief account. Hold on. A brief account of the destruction of the Indies. 
And um, I think J. Cole was talking about that in his Combat Jack interview. That's kind of what made me go and, and look at it. And then yeah. this guy, um, this guy who, you know, went to the Indies with the Span with uh, 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 with the Spaniards, and they, you know, he was um, there to teach them, the uh, natives who were uh, in the Caribbean, there to teach them Christianity, and he basically gives an account of how how they just killed everybody, and it is it is brutal, and it's from that time, and you know he was actually there and and and, and seeing it, and it's like it's interesting because in the beginning his descriptions are really detailed and stuff, and then as it goes on he goes into less detail. He just says like he'll give an example, and then he'll be like this and many other horrors that it would take reams of paper to uh, <laughs> fill. Of course. And um, he basically talks about how the people were decimated and how the people were so nice and, you know, how wonderful the, 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 the natives were and how they just came and got killed and hunted with dogs and worked in the fields until they died and all this other type of stuff. And that's, it's very depressing. I mean, yeah, man. Um, I, I got kind of depressed, you know, when I was in Canada and I was reading through certain archives. Um, they, you know, um, I focused on um, this journal from this one fur trading post from 1938 to 1939, and um, randomly, maybe like, you know, two or three months into me reading, by reading in 1938 on the on the fur trading post. They had the Indian residential school that, that popped up out of nowhere. And um, when that happened, um, you hit, I think a month later or some weeks later or whatever like that, you had, like, a doctor that went through and he inoculated, like, all, like, the, the Indian children there. And then maybe a week or two later, there was, like, a big outbreak of, like, smallpox and other diseases, whatever that, that was, um, that just spread throughout the, the school. And I went to the, pro the professors about it. And they told me that, you know, well, in Canada, it was like a big thing with experimentation when it came to um, to First Nations peoples um, in, the, you know, in, the, in the area. And a lot of the boarding schools, you know, in Canada, they, they went on a bit longer than they did in, in the United States um, so at, at, certain, at certain points. And so they were experimenting on these Indian children. Um, they were exper experimenting on... Um, on like certain animals too. So while I was experimenting on Indian children, there was um, another thing that happened maybe almost like a year later. There was a big epidemic when it came to like their slave dogs and the slave dogs, they were just dying one by one and they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out why supposedly. And they went to like other fur trading posts to see if they had the same issue, but it was it was only them. And so I hear that, um, or my the professors that they speculated that was probably some type of um, weird experimentation they were trying like to cover up or something like that. Um, and then, you know, you still had, even up to the 30s, you still had in, uh, Native Americans were going into like the woods trying to find, you know, fur, um, you know, animals so they can get for fur and shit like that. And it, I mean, it was hard to, it was, like, fur was hard to come by with animals, period, because of all the years of, you know, killing them over time. And um, when you had, like, a lot of these Native Americans, like, still trying to go outside and trying to find, like, these things deep in the woods, um, a lot of Native, Native, a lot of the Native peoples, they would die, like, in the woods and shit, like, you know, just frozen, like, they would freeze to death. Mm. 
Um, and so they always had to go, and they had to get them, and they had to explain it to, like, the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs or whatever it was in that region. But that was pretty depressing, too. All that so that we can live our uh, cushy North American lives now. Exactly. Um, you know, but, like, you know, like, Winnipeg has about 80,000 First Nations peoples and, um, you know, like, a big thing within the um, First Nations community is, like, the suicide rate. And it's, like, really high. And, like, and they say, like, it's even scarier that, like, other, like, even, like, younger people are killing themselves. So, like, even, like, preteens are, like, killing themselves at, like, a really high rate within the community and trying to find different ways to stop it. And one of the ways of trying to stop it was they would try, like, they would give, like, each person or each um, person who would try to commit suicide, like, 10 days of counseling. <laughs> Which is really kind of crazy if, if you think about it, but, yeah, crazy. It makes you wonder, like, sometimes I wonder, um, you know, is is this the end? Like, when it comes to different groups of people, um, like when you think about the First Nations peoples and all that, like, will it ever get better or are they just done? Hmm. You know, same thing with, like, black people and stuff like that. Like, you know, will these people ever rise up and flourish again, or is it just a wrap? And, you know, in a 100 years or so, you know, will they just not exist? Mm -hmm. Mm, That's a good question. I guess, uh, well, I'm sure we won't be around to really even see that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I still think black people still have a very long, uh, a long ways to go until, like, I guess the the final thing of mixing is complete. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, just. Uh, oh, I was going to say, um, you said something earlier about about how they're trying to decolonize or something like that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, uh, the lecture I was watching from um, John Henry Clark is interesting. He was talking about how they're actually trying to recolonize um, Southern Africa and how, you know, they're doing it in in sneaky ways, like with the um, foreign aid and stuff like that, how that's just a way for them to get troops into the area so they can, you know, pretty much maintain control and um, take over these areas that are rich and, you know, so many natural resources and human resources and all of that. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. um, It seems like they're ramping up uh, military action in a lot of areas like the Middle East and Africa and things like that. Yeah, um, uh, there was a... um, a book that I read in my undergrad career, and it was about, um, I think it's called "What's the Problem with Aid" or something like that. And it's a it's a rather short book, but it's you know essentially on like you know the, the you know what what is about the problem the problem with giving aid to Africa. And um, he goes in like these these different weird instances where you know 
like the money that's given to a, a certain, an African country by, you know, um, a first world country, it comes with like these crazy stipulations, you know, based on like maybe trade or, you know, if we give you this money, you know, so-and-so has to be in power for a certain amount of time in this one area or something like that. And, you know, pretty much everything he was just saying, um, the guy was, like, like I guess, uh, putting vividly in that book. Um, so, yeah, actually, I, would, I think I still have it. I'm not sure, though. That's uh, yeah, the thing, because, um, you know, like like the uh, the liberal, I guess the liberal reaction to, you know, everything is just to throw money at things and... You know, you have to go and help these people where, and, you know, it's like not really looking at it in a in a more holistic sense of everything that's going on. And, you know, like from more of a libertarian standpoint, it's like, no, don't do that. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not really our place and it's not our government's place to be, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And you know, there are a lot of reasons, and that's, you know, definitely one of them. And, you know, John Clark, he was talking about how, like, um, he made a joke saying, you know, they won't feed poor white people up in the mountains and stuff like that in West Virginia and, you know, white people who are impoverished. So it makes you think that they're going to go over there <laughs> and help these Africans. That's a good point. You never hear, you never really hear about too much. You never hear hear too much about the people in the mountains of uh, West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, they did. I, you know, I've been meaning to watch that Hatfields and McCoys thing. Um, I haven't gotten around to it, but you know, um, a lot of things like I think I think a lot of things are. Um, you know, propagated by the media. Like, you look at a country like, let's say, China or in India, and, you know, they have all these billions of people and their economies are booming and um, all that type of stuff. But then, you know, you have people who are living in third world, you know, conditions. But, you know, there are people who live in third world conditions in America as well. You know, maybe not on that scale, but it's, you know, they definitely exist. You know, there's people in America who don't have paved streets. They don't have plumbing. You know, they still use outhouses. And, you know, they're just not necessarily modernized. And then you have people who, in America, um, in places that are modernized, they just, like, in some of the worst hoods and ghettos, like, you know, these kids, who are growing up in, in places like Baltimore, um, you know, they're growing up in, in, you know, in terrible third world-like conditions. I mean, and you can see that just, you know, driving to the hood and you might see a neighborhood where, or like a block where all the houses are boarded up and dilapidated except maybe one or two. And there's, yeah. uh, there's piles of trash in the street. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I saw a, uh, I saw a couple of boarded houses in, in Winnipeg when I was there. Mm, and you feel like home? <laughs> no, I mean, no, not really. I mean, because I mean, although I mean, it, I, I obviously, I obviously, I knew that it was. A, I, I was in a different area mm. because I started seeing trash on the ground. But 
you know, it still wasn't like, it wasn't like trash everywhere, everywhere. And, you know, it, I mean, everything still seemed pretty clean to me and the houses still seem nice for, I guess, the so-called hood, if that's, if that's what yeah, that would be considered. Um, but no, I mean, I think I saw maybe like two boarded up houses, but I mean, they were, but, I mean, even like the boarded up houses, they were still boarded up like rather nicely compared to, I guess, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. There weren't, um, there weren't, uh, advertisements on the boarded up houses for album dropping. <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't, no, they weren't actually, no. Um, they didn't have anything on them. I wonder if people. I know. I wonder if people have, like really go up to like to look at like the writings on board, like on boarded up houses. I mean, like I always get tripped out because it seems like a lot of boarded up houses, especially like on like North Avenue in Baltimore, um, they become billboards. <laughs> for uh, street teams to put up their posters for, you know, whatever movie or album is dropping or something like that. And, you know, it's just like common practice, but stuff like that doesn't happen other places. Like, <laughs> like you know, like in New York, you don't see boarded-up houses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. that... That that you know that real estate is going to get used by somebody, you know. Or if it is boarded up, it's going to be unboarded pretty quickly. Yeah. So. You know, it could be there could be some type of uh, I can see it, like some type of um, documentary on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like you know Baltimore graffiti. And you know, because you know, if, if you think about Baltimore graffiti, it's not graffiti, and you know the, I guess the classical sense. You know, we're not really talking about like trains and stuff like that, or like or the, the subway system, like you know how you see like in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's like boarded up houses, and you know, well, like the shit you find like on on buses and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, or inside, when I want to see some of the crazy shit people put up for no particular reason. Yeah, that's... You know what? Maybe that's a project for the summer is to go and uh, document Baltimore graffiti um, because, like, especially, like, riding the light rail and stuff like that, you see some interesting pieces um, in some random places. Um, But, yeah, like, um, just the way that that in Baltimore, like, people tag, like, on the buses, you know, you see different tags and stuff like that. Um, under bridges, you'll see people's tags. Um, I guess we don't really have, like, big big graffiti pieces unless they're, like, a commissioned mural. I, th- I think Baltimore does have some beautiful murals and stuff like that. But, yeah, I do think that, that the street art in Baltimore is definitely overlooked. Yeah. Matter of fact, I I want to say there was there used to be a website that had Baltimore graffiti on it, like a Baltimore graffiti website. I wonder if it's still up. Mm. But um. Oh, and of course there's Graffiti Alley or Graffiti Warehouse. Oh yeah. 
See, I don't know. I, I think that I don't know, it's so overdone. I just really can't think of it as like an, an organic thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, but um, like the uh, the person who I, I may be going out uh, record digging with this coming week, this coming weekend. Um, she was telling me how she was like used to try to find um you know like find train her and her friends were like try to find you know clean trains so they can bomb and shit like that. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she so pretty much I mean like the, that little thing that little tidbit I told you alone that's the main reason why I, I wanted I just want to do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Where is she from? She's from uh, Oklahoma City. Wow. Yeah. She seems uh, very, uh, very hip hop. <laughs> oh, she is. She, she is. Um. Well, it, well, it, uh, uh, the, the, the whole Diddy story. That's like about the Diddy story. Um, I don't know. Did you? I, I think I told, I told someone about the damn Diddy story. Um, I'm not trying to put a big one, but I'm not saying her name, no. So I guess it probably, probably won't really hurt. Because I, I did mention this podcast, though, so I'm. Yeah, I'm starting. To, I'm starting to realize that if I if I mention it, people want to hear it, and then some of the people who I mention it to, I mention them in the fucking podcast. <laughs> Although I mean, I'm not really saying nothing bad about them, but they may be kind of they may be kind of you know uncomfortable with it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. Maybe maybe you should talk about this uh, off air. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a rather interesting story, I would say. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's always interesting when you meet like like a random hip hop girl in like a uh, in like a weird place. You know, but you know, but it's the thing. Like whenever I, I hear, I think of like a hip hop girl in a random place. One, I've seen they just fuck me up with this whole Carhartt girl type girl. shit. Oh my god. <laughs> And that's the thing because I, like I vividly remember like the random episode where Cypher Sounds was talking about like he was I don't know what the fuck he was on but he was talking about the random girl he just randomly he just started call, he started calling Carhartt girl and yeah. just went to like his vivid description and I mean I I just I know who I know the type of person he's talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> but I haven't seen I haven't seen one of those in a long long time they're hard to come by. I mean, hip hop is uh, it's you know I th- I I think the whole thing is kind of fading out, you know, as as the generations go. After you know we leave the nineties, I say as we leave the nineties, like it wasn't like two decades ago, <laughs> but yeah, you know, as that kind of aesthetic is kind of um leaving, that whole thing is kind of um kind of going away. But yeah, I, I I've known a couple of those type of girls. Um, in my travels, and it's always it's always kind of refreshing because it's just like you know whenever you meet somebody who's kind of on the same wavelength as you, and you know or they know like certain weird things that aren't necessarily mainstream. You know, it's always pretty cool. Yeah, man. I mean, it's really really nice. That reminds me, I gotta tell you something else off air. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, I, sometimes, you know, it's like, uh, I guess when we're dealing with this type of, I don't know, I guess the, the, the really, the ins and outs of hip hop or, or, or damage, like with just one genre alone, just like you feel like you're in this box. And, you know, whatever you say, no one will really, no one will truly understand what the fuck you're saying, or at least most people won't. <laughs> and even and then even if you try like to get them to understand, they're just like, oh well, I guess it's cool, but I don't understand why you're why you're focusing on one little snare and one and a three minute song and why it's important or something like that. Yeah, but then like it's interesting. I I, I finally listened to that whole um, one Epstein with uh, Lord Finesse, mm-hmm. and you know how they were getting into like the snares and the types of drums that he was using. And it's like that stuff is important, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I, I, you know, I, you know, in my, in my teenage years, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time cutting out snare drums out of uh, records, <laughs> <laughs> making sound kits and putting different EQs on them, and you know, that type of stuff is fun. I spent, I spent many an hour doing that type of thing. Maybe I'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, get that yeah. feeling back. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I don't know, I never. I mean, I never. I was never really in, into it that deep. Like I always maybe like cut like a snare or something like that, and then I'll just run it through through through, uh, through the tape deck so you get like real nice and grimy, and then do whatever else I need to do. I need to do with it. But um, I start I start I chopped uh, some drums up off of uh, the fuck that I chopped. Uh, it was something I chopped. Um, damn, I can't, I can't even think of what it was. It was, it was rather recent though. Cause I'm trying like, I'm trying like to, like to do this regimen. Like, you know, I just like, I wake up in the morning or whatever like that. And I just like, you know, start working on a beat like, or doing something like production wise mm-hmm. for maybe like an hour or so. But, um, it's hard for me to do because like, you know, some days I may just not really be with it, not be into it. So, It'll probably work, but then, like, if I really, like, get on, like, some type of tangent when it comes to, like, you know, maybe fucking with, like, a synth or a drum bit or some shit, then I'll, and I'll end up, you know, spending two or three hours on it, and then it'll fuck up with something, you know, something else I got to do during the day. Yeah. So it's kind of dangerous for me to do at this right now, at this point, at least. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's hard doing this shit and then trying to live regular life as well. <laughs> Cause like sometimes I get into a, like a zone, um, and you know it's like, damn, I really need to be working right now, and but you know I'm doing something else. I'm so far away from the studio where I can't, I can't really, you know, do what I'm trying to do. So I think, um, I think, you know, because I'm thinking about you know the pieces that I need to put together to, I guess, kind of rebuild my studio or. or it and I'm really thinking that the mobile studio is the way to go so I'm looking mm-hmm. at um, good portable MIDI controllers and you know like a good laptop and like a good a good uh, uh, preamp that's you know small enough for me to take wherever I need to go and all the other type of stuff because I really want like a mobile recording and production setup. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about um, maybe making it, maybe if I get like an iPad or something like that, making it iPad based. Mm-hmm. 
Because um, I've been playing around with, um, you know, production on my phone and, um, you know, recording on my phone. I have a Galaxy Note 3, and um, I got this app um, called 4Track, and it's like a multi-track type thing. So, like, sometimes when I'm driving, what I'll do is um, I'll play a beat real loud and record it um, on track one, and then I'll put in my headphones. I do this all while I'm driving, too. And I'll put in my headphones <laughs> and then start recording. Um, like, I might record a hook, and then I'll do, like, ad-libs and overdubs on it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Just to, like, kind of get ideas down so I can come back to them later. Yeah, that's a very, very hot sex. Hey, man, sometimes when you got an idea, you just got to get it out no matter where you are. <laughs> and then yeah. I, yeah. And I was playing with our FL Studio on the, um, I was playing with, with our FL Studio on the, uh, on Android, but, um, I couldn't really, it's, you know, it's hard to use. It's not like it is on the computer. I got it, but I'm thinking about getting it again. And, um, I did pay like $20 for it so I can, like, re-download it and, uh, mess around cool. with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't. I can't see myself go trying to do something on a, on my phone. That's too much to be doing. Uh, Lord, I struggle enough doing shit on a computer. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I I I always think about you know what what recording is going to look like in the future because you know technology is moving away from the big desktop computers and stuff like that. So, um. You know, eventually, it's going to get to a point where I think most, you know, or like a lot of recording is going to be on the cloud or, um, you know, on things like tablets and mobile type devices and stuff like that. And um, I think there are like DAWs that are cloud based. Um, I was because there was one that I did sign up for. I never really used it like that though. But um, I've been thinking about. You know, different different recording options and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe maybe an iPad, but I I just can't I can't see the future recording going past. I guess uh, it get um again uh past a large tablet. But I think a cell phone beats is a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a big ass phone, so. <laughs> That's kind of in between the phone size and the tablet size, but yeah. yeah. Well, um, speaking of uh, speaking of drums, um, an ill album that has like some nice drums on it is uh the, the new Ghostface album. Oh man, I still haven't gone back to that. That's I've had, that's probably gonna be my project for tomorrow. But yeah, um, I do think that that you know when I did listen to it. Just the overall mixing and sound did sound better to me than his previous two. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, um, whoever did it, they were going for, like, the classic stack sound to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see Ghostface, you know, being nominated for, I don't know, like, best rap performance or some shit like that of this album. Yeah, hopefully. I'm trying to think, um... It's going to be interesting, you know, 
I guess when uh, 2015 is all said and done, you know what what's going to be said about this year musically because just in the first quarter, um, it's like the game has been shut down already. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like we've had uh, Joey Badass, we've had Big Sean, we've had a Wale album, we've had a Drake album. Um, in the last year, we had J. Cole, um, we've had Kanye West singles, um, I mean, we've had pretty much a year's worth of shit, you know, like, of course, Kendrick, (laughs) Um, so it's like, you know, what is there to look forward to now, um, music-wise, I guess, um, of course, you know, Kanye is going to drop an album eventually. Um, going back to MMG, um, they're making Self Made 4, and Wale is going to executive produce that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so we have that. I mean, the Self Made albums are pretty decent. They're pretty good. I like them. Um, and uh, what else do we have? Uh, we have Meek Mill coming up. Is he coming out this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was supposed to come out last year, but he was locked up. But no. uh, so then they put out Starly instead. Um, but yeah, we have Meek Mill. Uh, maybe we'll get gunplay. <laughs> Man, what the fuck happened to him? Uh, he's been dropping. I think he came out with like a single or two, but I don't know. I mean, he did put out that mixtape, which didn't really sound that good to me. I, you know, I really look forward to Gunplay mixtapes, but I think this one, it, like the quality of it wasn't good, so I couldn't really get through it. Mm-hmm. But um, we got Waka Flocka, Flocka Valley 2 coming out. Um, and I don't know if you saw his little April Fool's marketing strategy. Um, I saw like a bit about it. Like the whole week before, they had this rumor that he was having a sex tape come out. And then on April Fool's, he dropped his music video. I think he dropped it through Pornhub. And it had like <laughs> a bunch of. <laughs> and I think it had like a bunch of porn stars in it. And uh, it was just like a, like a music video that he did. I guess this single, maybe it's a Flock of Millie 2 or something. I don't know. Um, or maybe it was something. He did just drop Salute Me and Shoot Me 5, which I've been meaning to listen to. But, um... Yeah, isn't this, like, only his, like, his third album or something like that? Or, t- or second album? His third album. Yeah, yeah, because he did Flock of Valley, and then he had the last one, and now he's going to drop Flock of Valley 2. God damn, I mean, I'm surprised he's still, he's still relevant. <laughs> you sure I mean, he has, he has his ways of doing it, um... I mean, he's dropped, you know, all those mixtapes, and then he's ventured off into the EDM world, and uh, his girlfriend is on Love and Hip Hop, or one of those type of shows, Wives Club, or one of them. Who, who's that? Uh, some chick from Baltimore. I think she used to be a stripper or something. Oh. Yeah. yeah, somebody was telling me about how there's two girls from Baltimore. Whatever show it is, maybe it's R&B Diva, something like that. And um, it's like Lil Mo and it's her. And like she and Lil Mo kind of gravitate towards each other because they're from Baltimore. It's like, man, Baltimore's uh, got two <laughs> two people on one show. Like, it's going to go down. <laughs> no, of course. Mm. 
But, Damn. Uh, yeah, that first Fakavelli, man, that's a classic. Man, I, I, I just can't. I can't go this shit. I mean, I, I remember like I think the only mixtape I listened to all the way through um, was uh, I think it was called what, Waka Flocka Myers or some shit like that. Oh yeah. Man, I, I mean, he's just yelling. I mean, it, I mean, it's, I mean, essentially a lot of this shit, at least, at least mixtape shit, from what I've heard, it sounds like a a new form of a uh, of crunk music, I guess. I mean, that's kind of what it is, but he um he put on a mixtape recently um, called I Can't Rap or something like that, where he's actually, like, rapping. And I think he's rapping over some 90s-type beats and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he, you know he's stepping his game up a little bit. So, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's always interesting with him and just to see his growth and evolution, and, and it's kind of cool because you can see like I remember in his first interviews how he was to how he is now it's like a whole nother person well so it seems like uh, he's like the second the second coming of Gucci man you know how we essentially just saw his his evolution as an as an as an artist yeah <laughs> but you know Waka stays out of trouble and hangs with white people now <laughs> yeah also quite surprised yeah he never gets in trouble doing this thing and living his life and you know it's, it's like seeing him win you know it kind of makes me um, you know happy for him mm-hmm. and um, it's interesting because uh, I mean you know Waka Flocka is important to the game because without him I mean like he, he really changed the sound and the scope of everything with that hard in the paint record with Lex Luger, he and Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. After after that song, that's when you had Lex Luger do the um, records with Rick Ross, you know, the BMF and the MC Hammer. And then he did the joint for Jay-Z and Kanye, and then you had the whole Lex Luger knockoffs, and it basically became a genre to itself. And really, that's where... Uh, EDM trap music came from is Lex Luger and you know Waka Flocka. Mm-hmm. So you know I think um, you know his importance to music in general is uh, kind of there and it's something that's not really talked about. And you have people like Lex Luger who don't get any credit and they're just. On the sidelines, I'm assuming not making as much money as they should be. I think he had to switch over to EDM. Uh, so he's he's doing that now. Like he, him and uh, I think he and uh, people like A Rab Music and you know Jalil Beats and even um DJ Green Lantern. He does our uh, EDM music now. So what whatever happened to that single with uh, Just Blaze and Bowser, whatever the name is. Oh, Bauer. I don't. Did I think they were supposed to do a whole album together? Um, but I think really what they've been doing is just touring and just plays. You know, he drops like a new song every once in a while. But um, yeah, I think they've just been touring and making a lot of money because um, you know, just Blaze is getting it now. He probably get like four to five hundred thousand dollars a gig. 
So I think he's getting it while the opportunity is there. Man, god damn. I mean, uh, this, this is the thing, though. Like, you know, he, I mean, he was, you know, one of those sought after producers, and it seems like he, he kind of, like, you know, t- turn, turned away from that to do this DJing shit. And I wonder if he did it because of the fact that he maybe he felt as though he was being, he was starting to become irrelevant in the big market of production when it comes to large artists or what. Uh, I think he talked about it before, and basically <clears throat> what he was saying is, um, um, you know, with production now, it's like he can't get, I, I think it's more of a money type of thing where, you know, he's not going to get that big check that he, you know, that he feels like he deserves, um, so he's going to get it from elsewhere, and you know, you remember, like, there was that whole era where you had the big producers and they were getting the big, you know, big-ass checks to, you know, produce records, but it's not really like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last one probably was uh, that Live Your Life um, record with him and uh, with uh, that uh, they did for T.I. and Rihanna. And then mm-hmm. he did that one for Mano, which was, I think, Mano's second platinum plaque. Um but like, even like Saigon was saying, you know, just blazes his man. But you know, he got to get that check. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just blaze. He turned down. Well, he you know he didn't do any production on Wash the Throne. And it's just like you know he was busy doing other things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it uh. I mean, but this. I mean, but you you still have Pharrell, who you know, who does a whole bunch of production, other things too. And I guess maybe the difference between Pharrell and Just Blaze is that Pharrell has his hands in other things, money wise, compared to Just Blaze. And it's too, you know, I mean, but the thing with but uh, Pharrell is, you don't really see him doing too much hip hop. You know, like he's mm-hmm. venturing off in other genres. I think he's just more visible because he's doing you know, the type of genres, like he's doing like the R&B and pop type thing, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to the hip-hop where Just Blaze is doing like the EDM international type thing, so we don't really see him anymore. But, um... I think, um... You know, he's still out there doing this thing. And, shoot, I wish I could do that. I think that's what I'm about to try to get on with this uh, club music project, which I'm putting together um, to put out on some EDM type stuff just to see what happens. So hopefully that does something and can generate some revenues and things of that nature. But, um, because like, you know, that's, you know, that's where the money is, so you kind of got to go do it. And, you know, it's still involving yourself in music and it's still being creative. And I think Just Blaze was saying something like you can kind of do more with it because you're not making a beat for a rapper. So um, it gives you more room to express yourself where, you know, when you're producing for hip-hop, you kind of got to leave it open for the rapper to express himself. Hmm. I mean, so... So when Just Blaze, when he does, like, a gig, 
Is it like a mixture of, I guess, uh, I guess, like you know, EDM music that's like popping off at that moment, like a mixture of that, and then, then a mixture of like his own personal EDM beats that he makes. I'm not sure how exactly that works. I think I think it's probably what you said, and then you know, probably like adding sounds while you're on the stage, because like you know, when you see like EDM DJs, they usually have some type of. Um, drum machine looking type thing i guess like uh what's it called that machine thing or like that thing that hooks up to ableton and you can kind of control ableton through it so I think, yeah. I think it's like a lot of like live sound manipulation and stuff like that and also he probably has you know records that he does and just plays and parties and stuff like that so i don't know we got to go to an EDM show, though. Like, that's one thing I definitely have to uh, experience because I get the feeling like it's different. Like, in hip-hop, you kind of got to do songs that people know, and that's how you get your shows versus, like, EDM. It seems like they're going to go hear some new shit. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, I mean, you know, like... Uh... It seems like compared to, I guess, like any type of, like, I guess, like an artist of any genre and then, perf- uh, and that artist performing, um, it seems like DJing, you know, I mean, just overall period is just like something that's really kind of ambiguous and it just really depends on what you want to do in the crowd and the type of music that you're doing, I guess. So, Cause even like, you know, if you, if you're like a hip hop DJ, and it's, I guess it's kind of based around, I guess, the, 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 the age demographic of the people who you're catering to. And even still, you can still kind of like, you know, slide in different types of music here and there and just make it your own thing. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of it is, um, you gotta have, uh, um, like, like, like if I was DJing the gig, I would want, I would want, um, to have a crowd that's going to appreciate some of like the more obscure, weird things that I'd probably throw in there. But um, one thing, like like when I went to Howard, um, is really interesting at the parties is that because you had so many different people who were from so many different places, the DJ was able to do a set from like every place, and you know it's kind of like you kind of get put on to different music through that. So it's like, you know, he might do a New York set and playing all the New York records and everybody in New York is going crazy. And then he might do like a down south set. And then they even like, like I remember sometimes they even did like a Baltimore club set and it would turn up so crazy. Like the energy when they did the Baltimore club sets were just wow. And they might do like a Bay Area set. And then, um, and then they'll do like that island set. And, um, you know, that was really cool that you get, like, a mixture of all different types of things. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, when you just go to a club with one group of people who are just used to stuff that's on the radio and, like, street music, this is pretty much all down south. And right. It's kind of boring and tired after a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I need to, uh, I mean, uh, I remember when um, we kind of had like a talk about club music, you know, based around when I was going to go to that conference to kind of um, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I mean, too, like, sometimes when I, when I think about club music, I, I still think about, like, the things you told me that you mentioned to me about club music and how, um, and how essentially, you know, it's really, like, a lot of times it's people dancing to fucking gunshots. <laughs> and how, I mean, just how morbid that shit sounds. And, uh, I was, um, explaining, because then I kind of, um, I kind of took that idea and then I, I added it, um, you know, to, I guess, like, the whole concept of, like, you know, neighborhoods and how, you know, before the whole, you know, like, the blood crypt type shit that came here after a while, um, way before that, you know, it was, like, your neighborhood, so, you know, you're, you're, you're in these certain areas, but you're still kind of, you know, divided, although you're so close together, but you're divided by your neighborhoods, although, you know, your neighborhoods may are technically connected. And I was explaining this to, um, you know, to uh, the person that I was going to be on the panel with, and she, she, you know, she, well, she, she doesn't know anything about Boss Moss Out of the Wire. And then, so when I was explaining, like, that to her, and I said, you know, what she told me about, like, the, the, um, the, the, the gunshots when it comes to club music, and she was, like, really enthralled by it. And... Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess just like that, like that conversation alone just makes me think a bit more about Baltimore just kind of being its own thing, regardless of how many things we take off the uh, off the radio or like you know, I guess in, in some big main market where something's popping off and just try to recycle it and it never works out. <laughs> yes, yeah, like and, and and that is you know goes to what I've always said that we kind of embrace our own sound then, you know, it could probably pop off with that because, like, the sound kind of represents the place. And when you listen to, you know, Baltimore club music, you know, you got the gunshots and you just have the drums and it's very stripped down, just hard drums, kind of like 90s hip-hop drums without a whole lot on top of it. And people just shouting out, you know, whatever it is they're going to shout out, they're shouting out their hood. You know, like, EA, EA, woo! Like, that's Emerson Avenue, and then, you know, that one joint, Bang Town, North and P Park, right? Like, and, you know, it's, like, perfect because, you know, you're going to have people from those certain neighborhoods that are in the building, and just to hear your area repped on a song playing loudly, you know, makes you feel good. <laughs> And, and, you know, and I and I think the whole concept of, you know, with, how, like, a lot of club songs do that rep in certain neighborhoods, I'm pretty sure that's a big reflection on, you know, how closely divide, how divided neighborhoods are anyway. Yeah, like, um, and actually, um, I was listening to a joint recently, um, <laughs> who was it by? Uh, I can't think of his name right now, uh, 808, uh, I can't think of his name, but he has some dope. Uh, music like hip hop wise and club wise, he's from Baltimore and he has this joint. Um, actually, no, it wasn't him. It was uh, I think the dude uh, Murder Mark. Um, I think he changed his name to something else, probably like Money Mark or something like that. But oh man, it's a. Uh, yeah, I think I think Money, because I mean I I, I kind of know him, so uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. He got this joint called Cherry Hill, and like that joint, Cherry Hill, and that joint is rocking. And if I was from Cherry Hill, I would love that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And, um, you know, it is interesting because that's one area that's definitely its own place and its own almost city, in effect, or borough. Like, if you were to break down Baltimore, like how New York is broken down, Cherry Hill would be like its own, or Cherry Hill in Brooklyn and Westport and all of that would definitely be its own little area. Mm. Or, um, you know, borough. Yeah. You know, it was funny. Um, I was listening to some type of uh, con- some combat jack episode, and uh, it was someone talking about um, uh, like just walking with Jay Z, um, like in, in New York somewhere. Like, you know, he went no when you know this is after he became who, who he is now, mm-hmm. and um, he took him to like Rucker Park. And he said like he he took Jay like Jay Z there and he was looking around and Jay said that he's never been to Rucker Park before. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. No, that was that was who was that? It was a uh, Russell. No, uh, it was Russell. I don't know. It had to I mean, maybe it had to have been probably somebody from Harlem. Hmm. Or maybe it was Sauce Money. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I do remember um, him saying that, and it's interesting because like how you can be from a place, and but when you're in that place, you're so um, confined to your one area that you don't, you know, see a lot of things that are there. It's interesting, like when I talk to people from the east side, and. You know, I mentioned certain things. Like, you know, there's people who have never been to Mondawmin or have only been there once or twice. Yeah. When, you know, for us, that's like an integral part of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, like, um, you know, I I, I don't think I ever went to Golden Ring Mall while it was still up. But, you know, I'm sure that was like an integral part to other people's lives. Yes, yeah, I think I've only been once. Yeah, like I've been, yeah, yeah, like I've been in the area since then, and I've kind of been, you know, everywhere in the city, you know, in recent years, and so I'm kind of familiar with, you know, all the little things from all the little areas. But you know, for the most part, I guess it goes back to that tribal thing we were talking about. You know, people. Stay where they're at, or when they move, you know, they move, you know, in their tribe, and they go to, you know, certain places that people from that tribe go to. So you're from the East Side tribe, you have your, you know, your tribal area, your tribal territory, and you don't necessarily venture out of there. Yeah. But um, you know, I, uh, I, speaking of uh, of uh, money, Mark, um. I came across, I think it sounds like a long time ago, like a while back now, and seems like he's pretty, he's popping off pretty, pretty decently. Yeah, I think he had like a big thing in the um, city paper about him and everything. So he's, uh, he's, he's definitely doing his thing. Yeah, sure. I remember listening to like this, uh, this one, like one, one of his earlier tracks from when, you know, we were in high school. Mm. Um, Pretty far. It was pretty far away from from club music. I, I never knew that he would he would take the the, uh, the club music world. But uh, it's rather rather interesting. Um, but yeah. So um, so uh, is there like a way that we can find that we can figure out if we have like any type of uh, subscribers to the uh, to the podcast? Um, I don't know. I 
I got to look into that. Um, I think it should just come up. Um, I know you uh, you hate all things Apple. <laughs> yes, but, I do. Um, you got to get iTunes and log in, I think, to see that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to bite the bullet on that one, too, because, you know, iTunes slows the fuck out of everything on the computer. I'm, I'm thinking about getting a, um, getting another, like, cheap laptop, like, just for this type of stuff. But, um, but yeah, um, what I was going to do is um, I'm going to put the second episode up and then chop out different parts as, like, highlights of uh, stuff. Because I was listening to the last episode I was like, oh man, like like this would be a dope little highlight part, and put that up on like YouTube and on SoundCloud and stuff like that, and put a link back to the main episode. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I still gotta, I still gotta put the post up from the first episode, but uh, oh, it's been a long weekend. <laughs> I feel you, man. It's a, it's a, it's a lot to do, but. You know, we'll get it rolling and moving and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm so over holidays right now. Like, you know, they're nice and all that other type of stuff. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, so I told huh? my girl, I was, I was like, um, I was like, yeah, um, you know, for the first year, you got. You know, some holidays out of me, but we ain't doing no more. <laughs> I was like, I'm not participating anymore. She was like, what about Christmas? I was like, I'm not doing it. And she was like, oh, no, you do Christmas now. I was like, oh, man. Oh, so it's, uh, all right, so this is it's Easter. Easter, April, May, June, July, August, September. I mean, so I think you have, like, a decent amount of time before another holiday comes around. Yeah, I mean, there is 4th of July, but... Oh, shit, that's right. Um, there's 4th of July. There's a cacophony of, or a confluence of birthdays <laughs> in August. That is true. And as uh, different people get added to my life, there's there's a lot more. <laughs> trying to think, how many birthdays are in August, late July to August? Uh, I'm thinking five. Yeah, five. And maybe there's more than that, but... Because there's you, there's my mother, there's like three other people, and there's, um, and then there's a couple other people as well <laughs> mm. that, you know, I'm you know, probably not going to do anything for, but there's a good five that, you know, I'm probably going to do something for. All right. Damn, man. Yeah, I know. I see, I see your point about the holidays. It seems seem like every other month there's some some weird holiday you got to deal with. Like, you know, 
even like St. Patrick's Day, I never like really realized the importance and the resonance St. Patrick's Day has, at least nowadays, amongst different, you know, people of all colors now and shit. Yeah. Which I, I just don't understand why, but... I mean, I don't know, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just an excuse for, for people to get fucked up. Yeah. For Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, what do you think about, uh, I don't know if you checked out this title thing. Title? Oh, um, the the Jay-Z thing? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Um, I I read something on Vlad about, um, about him launching it, I think, hours before, um, they came out with the article or something like that. Yeah, he had, like, a big press conference and all that. I actually downloaded the app. I'm about to sign up for, like, the free trial or whatever. Um, you get, like, a you get a 30-day free trial. Um, mm-hmm. And you have Title Premium, which is $10 a month, and then you have Title Hi-Fi, which is $20 a month, and that's supposed to be lossless, high-quality sound. Um, I guess what... What what's his name was trying to do? Um, uh, what's his name? Neil. Well, I, I, I keep wanting to say Neil Armstrong. That's not his name. Um, you know the guy who makes all those songs about America. Oh um yeah 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 because yeah. he was I, I don't know he was trying to do like a music service, but um yeah this one is interesting because there's a bunch of artists who are also part owners, um, Jay-Z being, you know, the main one, but also his whole clique. Um, even J. Cole, he's part owner of it. Um, and it's supposed Boy. to, like, really pay the artists and stuff like that, and they're really coming at Spotify and um, Beats. I think it's very ambitious. I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to get rid of my Spotify account for this, but um, I'm going to check it out for these 30 days to see how that goes. Mm. I mean, I mean, because actually, um, I can't, I can't think, uh, oh, you mean uh, Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, 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 Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember like almost like two years ago, whatever it was, and um, I was listening to Studio 360 on, on NPR, Mm-hmm. And um, one of like the high, one of like the main stories was about him and this um this lossless type of audio streaming thing he wanted to do. Um, so yeah, so that's all coming back to me now. But the, I mean, it's cool, I guess. But the thing is, though, <clears throat> I mean, your average music listener isn't thinking about lossless, you know, quality. Yeah, you aren't thinking about flax or or wave files or some shit like that. And they probably don't even care. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think that you know promoting it serves two purposes, and one is to educate, I guess, the audience who doesn't care about it or even know about it, you know, about it. So now you have more people who actually know that you know MP3s have a degradation in quality and that it's a compressed uh, audio format and all that other type of stuff. And, you know, even if they don't care about it, now at least they know. 
and, you know, can be curious about it. And then two, you know, there is that niche group of people that do really care about it. And so, you know, I guess they're banking on the fact that, that these people who um, probably, you know, there's probably, a, you know, a, a decent amount of people who who have avoided streaming because of the fact that, you know, they're not going to get the best audio quality. But, you know, now they might not. And then you have those people that just always want the best thing. So whatever they get, they got to get the best one. So they'll probably get that. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I can see that. So, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it's some type of, like, if it's like a brick or something. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, I guess it's the perfect time to have these different streaming services, but I don't know. I think he's trying to promote it with uh, exclusive content, so I guess it's like the anniversary of Jay-Z's, you know, seven years or whatever, and so Beyonce released a song exclusively through Tidal, um, I guess serenading Jay-Z. Oh, God. <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. I think it's called, um, what's it called? Uh, it's called Die With You. Mm. Damn, man, these people, they're just so capitalistic, man, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, capitalizing on the fact that they're married. That's what you do when you're a power couple, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's that, but I mean, it's just like, you know, like, there's certain things that, like, Jay-Z does, sometimes I just want to throw up. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just too much. You just you just think about it, man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but this one might be you know giving back to the artist and you know his friends and stuff like that because it's it's supposed to be better for the artist when it comes to getting paid, and um, you know also you know all the artists who bought into I think Nicki Minaj is part owner as well. Um, let me see if there's a I think Coldplay might be. Um, I'm going to look up uh, artists who own title. Who own title. So, title stakeholders are Usher, Rihanna... Nicki Minaj, Madonna, Dead Mouse, Kanye West, Jay Z, J. Cole, Calvin Harris, Chris Martin, Jason Aldean, Jack White, Daft Punk, Beyonce, Arcade Fire, and Alicia Keys. I'm very surprised to hear Arcade Fire and Jack White <laughs> in that conversation. <laughs> wow. So essentially, Jay Z is, is just—I guess—he's kind of like more like the figurehead of this whole thing. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. Um, oh, it's for okay. So Mashable has a dope post about it. What is Title? Title is a music subscription service for audio and video files. It focuses on sound quality. It also promises exclusive songs and videos for artists. Nine ninety nine for month for standard quality sounds, 
HD videos and curated content and $20 a month for high-definition audio, which is comparable to CD quality, sometimes described as lost as high-fidelity sound. Why are these celebrities involved? This call is now being recorded. Okay, so... Um, it was uh, talking about title. So, um, yeah, I guess their whole thing is it being artist-driven and they're going to try to get subscribers by releasing exclusive content by these big artists. So we'll see how it goes, see if it fares better than Beats Music did. You have to go above that one. Yeah, I mean, they're... You know, Apple's revamping Beats Music to make it a part of iTunes or whatever. And I think that's supposed to be, like, their streaming service. But, um... Yeah, we'll see. Beats Music was kind of dope. And um, their whole draw was that they were going to have, you know, various uh, music tastemakers create playlists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is pretty cool, but... I don't know. There's a lot to, uh, there's a lot of ground to cover if you want to beat Spotify. I mean, yeah. I mean, but you would think of all of all services, you would think that uh, the Beats streaming service would be the one that would give you the high definition quality and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that because that's what you know the headphones are based off of. Yeah, and, you know it's kind of well, it's kind of weird that I noticed that. Um, I'm assuming that when it comes to this whole Google Voice thing, you still have to have like your you still have to have like phone service or something like that. That's how it seems. Um, it depends. I mean, you can call straight through Hangouts. Well, it's well, it's uh. Well, because I, I, I have the Google Voice app, and so now whenever I call somebody, it'll ask me if I want to do it with Google Voice or without Google Voice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's a way, like, if you, like, you have Hangouts on your phone? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if you get the Hangouts dialer, then you can call straight through Wi-Fi, and then you don't need any phone service. Okay, so... It's just that you need to have um, Wi-Fi service. Okay, so so essentially this phone call right now is like through a mixture of Wi-Fi and the phone service? I think... I think... I think um, yours is through your phone service because you're not calling through Wi-Fi. You're calling through your phone service. And then on my end, it's through the house phone. Well, I mean, it's kind of well, because well, the the reason why I asked is because uh, the first episode when we kept getting those drop calls, it was because I was doing it without Google Voice, and then ever since then, I've been doing it with Google Voice. Hmm. So I don't know. Mm, it's weird. <laughs> I guess we'll. Uh... I know after a while it cuts off. I think we hit that three-hour mark, so. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, well, see, I thought it was that. Um, and maybe, maybe that was, like, the main thing, but 
I couldn't make any more calls anyway because my phone was off. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I forgot I had to pay it, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure out how to, um, how to get more high quality, uh, audio on this podcast. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because it's basically we're just having a phone conversation and hopefully, you know, we'll get people to listen to it and all of that, but. Well, I mean, I I think I think our quality is a bit better than the uh, the Ahmed Ross squad. (laughs) And I I tried to listen to like one random episode, and I had to turn it off because of the quality. I just couldn't take it. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it gets like that, especially because they have a bunch of different people on one line. Sometimes, and then you know you get the background noises and all that other type of stuff. So. I mean, it's kind of a whole, they, they, they sound like a whole bunch of people who just don't know anything about technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be detrimental to uh, putting together a nice uh, website. And they do theirs through Blog Talk Radio, of course. But, um... Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, uh, you ready to wrap this up? Uh, yeah, since we still got some things to talk about off the air real quick. All right, well, if uh, anybody made it this far, uh, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we're going to keep rolling, being consistent, podcasting, Channel 10 in the building, your man, AR. Your boy, son. And we out. Peace.